three, two, one, and we're back. And Julie, I have to start by saying Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you as well. You look beautiful, and uh, it's going to be a very nice day here in the tropics as we celebrate Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, something I'm looking forward to, not looking forward to, is uh, Zoe's new bike finally arrived, and it does not have training wheels. And yes, I realize, listeners, that a seven-year-old should be should know how to ride a bike without training wheels by now. But Zoe doesn't. But she can kick ass on a scooter. So it's time. It's time. And I'm just not looking forward <laughs> to getting, as well. I'm not exactly. She's going to, I'm sure, not have the easiest of paths to learning how to balance on a two-wheeler. And that's what I have to look forward to after the podcast, getting yes. yelled at by a seven-year-old. So are you saying this podcast is going to be like four or five hours long? So yeah, you can avoid it? exactly. So I can run it out. <laughs> so run it out till it's, oh, it's too dark. <laughs> exactly. Well, happy Valentine's Day. You too. And so we just got done planning a little uh, summer vacation for ourselves, which is yeah. ironic considering where we live. But I mean, someplace that we haven't been to in quite a while that we're really yeah. looking forward to. So what what did you end up getting done with that? Uh, well, oh, you know what? Yes. <laughs> well, we have to warn them. Yeah, we it's do. It's the Sunday show. <laughs> so, so listeners, this is the Sunday show. So yes, this might be real estate coaching radio. Um, and it is. But on Sunday, we just talk about whatever the heck we want to talk about. And we do have some interesting things. Like I'm looking at an article right now on my computer that Julie found that we want to share with you. But for the most part, we're just defragging from our week and uh, preparing for the new week. So we're going to talk about whatever the heck we want to talk about. And the show might last 15 minutes or it might last if I am smart and I run the clock out and so I don't have to get screamed at by Zoe because she's going to get angry and frustrated because she's, mm-hmm. she's not an expert bike rider in 22 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I might make this show last till tomorrow. Yeah. Well, by, by the way, she's deep in the YouTube videos, how to ride a bike instantly. Good. So we'll <laughs> is, see whether it works. Is she or really not. using the keywords instantly? It was uh, right away, instantly, and with no training wheels. Oh, awesome. <laughs> no pressure. How can our seven-year-old have such a, like, seriously? Uh, I know. She's got such a big kid. She corrects me on my searches that it wasn't detailed enough to get exactly what she wanted to learn. Yeah, well, so, uh, that's yeah. true. But you aren't very good at keywords in Zoe's yeah, defense. Probably not. Yeah, and, but I'll tell you where I'm getting a little, I mean, she's, what, charging me a dollar every time she hears me say a bad word? Yeah, she's getting kind of rich off this. It, you know what, though? <laughs> she's she's basically, she's like our own little Alexa or our yes. own little Siri. It's constantly listening for, hey, Siri. Uh-oh, hold on. Oh, no. Don't do that. Okay, good. Everything's off in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Zoe is yes. with bad words. So I'll be in one part of the house and I'll say something, not like a really bad word, but I'll say something and then I'll hear, dad, it must be a dollar. It's like, how the heck does she even hear well, that? Well, curiously, she hears that from three rooms away, but when you ask her to do something, it's radio <laughs> silence. So... Yeah. Anyway, what were you talking about? Welcome to Kingdom. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, our trip, our trip. Our trip, trip. Yeah. So, yes. So we are, we, uh, one of the things um, that Julie and I, I always, as I say this, as I've told similar stories to this before, I always have to start out by saying that I was the car enthusiast that basically uh, enthused so much about cars that eventually my enthusiasm wore off on Julie. So now she's a car enthusiast too. Yes, by association exactly. mostly. And after being married for 30 years this year, uh, you know, we've since decided and figured out that we can do a lot of really incredible vacations centered around uh, the car hobby. And the car hobby is really amazing. I love it for a whole variety of reasons. But one of the biggest things that I really like about it is you can be um, like it was you know, before COVID, right? In March, you and I were down on Amelia Island and we were going to this really what was it? Car Week? I forget what they call it, Amelia. Concourse. It's Amelia Concourse. Yeah. And so you can be looking at some you know 1950s classic Ferrari and standing, as was the case, right next to me 
would be, you know, two people that are billionaires. And you can have this perfect conversation about some sort of arcane fact of the racing mm. history of said Ferrari. And there is there are absolutely no social barriers. There's no none of the, you know, normal things that you might experience in life. There are not very many things that really give you that sort of universal um, you know, what would you say? Not acceptance, but that universal ability to converse with anybody where there's where it is basically yeah. just about sharing the, the common passion. thread. Yeah. That's really for what sure. it is. But there's other things like that, too. Music well, is like music that. people are like that, Yeah, for sure. definitely. Classical so music. Sh- I imagine other sports are probably like that. Probably. And I think that's really, at the end of the day, why a lot of people... Well, I mean, like, if you go to a football game, you're going to have people that are in the expensive seats versus people that are in the cheap seats, mm-hmm. right? If you go to a really nice uh, car event, there are no expensive versus cheap really. seats. Everyone's yeah. intermingling. You may have people bidding or not bidding, but you're basically all in the same... Well, but like... At a, the same event. Like a concours, though. Yeah. You know, you go to Pebble Beach, which sure. is where we're going this year, mm-hmm. and you could be out there, and we when we it's been so long since we've gone to Pebble mm-hmm. Beach, like, you know, what, four years, five I think years? It's four years. Yeah. And when we were out there, you could run into just all kinds of amazing well, people. We and met just... Jay Leno there once. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of people. I can't even remember now, but that's that stands out only because I have a picture. <laughs> yeah, right. So the friends from Italy, we've mm-hmm. met friends from and people we've kept in contact with all these years over the car hobby. Like, so you mm-hmm. could end up sharing some um weird obsession about some sort of arcane fact from some 1960s something or another you know that no one really cares about there's like Mm. four people on planet earth that care about whatever that is yeah and then like you'll start exchanging texts or emails with this person they might live in you know wherever in the world and the next thing you know they're like some sort of famous scientist or they've written a whole bunch of books i've had those experiences numerous times Mm -hmm. anyway the car hobby is really cool that way and so we love to go to car places too around the world because Again, they're usually centered around amazing places. Like we've been I mean, all over Italy. Uh, we haven't yet, oddly enough, been to Germany yet, which is crazy. I'm a little ashamed well, we, to admit that. we had planned that until COVID. So yeah. we'll get back to that. Right. And the, and But they're always centered. Like you remember when we went to Maserati and it was mm-hmm. in, was it, was it in Milan? No, it wasn't Milan. Modena. It, Modena Mod, yeah, it was Modena or nearby. Nearby, outside of Modena. Yeah. And then you go to Ferrari and it was in Marinello. And then, of course, that's in the Tuscany countryside and just have all these amazingly, you know, romantic experiences that just for normal people from Ohio, it's kind of like a fantasy uh, parallel universe type experience. Um, and so there's something that happens every year in what, August, September? Mm -hmm. August. Yeah. And central california called monterey car week and obviously the monterey peninsula area and it is like nothing you've ever experienced before Uh, it's so unbelievably bizarre the density of people that fly in from all over the world and this is probably i think this week and it really is basically a week is it has to be the center of the universe for the car hobby and it's not like hot rods and whatnot, though there are some of those. It's mostly the European cars. It's mostly classic cars. It's mostly brass some historic cars, stuff, historic cars, race cars, and you know. auctions. Like you can't believe. Yeah, I mean it, it's fun for me to watch. I mean, you've got, of course, what we do for a living, helping agents, you know, make their lives as best they can. I think it's really interesting from like just what you were saying, exposure to people that do different things that are obviously unbelievably wealthy and enthusiasts for your mutual interest, you know, automotive stuff. But I always I always think the auctions are the most interesting because the you know, just the waiting. psychology of waiting and people <laughs> no. getting excited about it and like who who is the person who bids on some historic Ferrari that's the opening bids like 5 million dollars, right? So like is that 
probably not his second car. That's probably no. like part of a huge collection. And then who's bidding against him? It's just interesting. And then, you know, you run into people before and after the auctions that have those interests and you, you get to talk with them and they're usually very interesting types. And it just, I think it makes you really think bigger or at least differently from having exposure to, to uh, lots of different types of people. You know, we're meandering into and unintentionally what we talked about on our yeah. walk yesterday. Yes, that's on my mind. Yeah, yeah me too. But the, it, Julie's bringing up something very interesting. I do remember us being at a uh, RM auction and it's RM Sotheby's now. Mm-hmm. Amazing auction. If you guys can ever go to an RM Sotheby's auction, if you want to see how you do a, a high-end auction. I, and they can I've, see them online, too. They can see replays. and Yeah, you know, it's not just, like being It's not the back. same as being it's, there. It's but, ridiculous. I mean, yeah. you, it, it's they serve champagne. It's just exactly <laughs> like a – it looks like a 1960s James Bond thing for the most part. It's what it's like. People are definitely the Europeans dress nicer than the Americans. I was I just mean, thinking we have to get our outfits together. <laughs> we do. <laughs> After we here. can't look all Caribbean savage. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah. So at these uh, car auctions, especially the real high-end ones like in Monterey, and again, Monterey is the center of the universe. That's where the most expensive sales happen. You can watch all these billionaires, like Julia was just saying. Well, one has to assume they're billionaires. They're buying like twenty, thirty million dollar cars. But you watch them live bidding against each other. And the thing that you got to remember too, um, assuming there's no discounts going on, the buyer is going to pay at Monterey usually a ten percent commission on what he buys. And the seller is going to pay a 10% commission on what he sells. Now, here's another little fascinating uh, thing. In uh, Europe, the commissions are actually higher. So the seller might pay 10% and the buyer is going to pay 15% of whatever the final hammer price is. So when you see, And that's not including their, you know, all the other associated costs with buying a car, including sales tax. And shipping it. Don't forget that. Right, exactly. Well, shipping's nothing, comparatively. Comparison, right? yeah. Yeah, but if you look at some of these cars that will sell for like a million dollars or two million dollars, even, you know, $300,000, huge amounts of money all, right? And then you start adding in what the person actually paid, the transaction fees were actually made. I mean, a 300, and look, make it easy, a $100,000 car, the auction house could have made as much as $25,000. Um, and then there's the sales tax and there's all the other, you had to pay to get into the auction. It usually costs $500 basically for the weekend to come and go inside these different auction houses. Really expensive. But again, it's a fa- it's a fascinating experience because you can just have one moment where you're standing next to somebody and you guys are looking at maybe some sort of old vintage manual to some Bugatti or some crazy thing that there's like three of, and you know you're admiring the you know the artistry of the the, the documentation of the book or whatnot, and talking to whoever it is, Gallery. And the next thing you know, they're t- turning around with a paddle in their hand and they're betting some car up to twenty five million, right? And it's like, okay, well that was an interesting experience. But, you know, this goes back to something Julie and I, we're working on um, an outline for a book. And this is what she and I were just mumbling about. And one of the things, the premises of the book that we are trying to sort of like set the stage on. And and this is how, uh, let me actually take a sidestep and I'll tell you guys where Julie and I got this concept. And this is how we go about creating all of our products, by the way. When we lived in uh, New Albany, Ohio, and we sold real estate, a lot of our customers were... Um, employees of, you know, basically Les Wexner's juggernaut of retail, you know, Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works, Lerner, Lane Bryant, Abercrombie Abercrombie and Fitch. I mean, he owned more than that. He owned all kinds. Bath and Body. Yeah. uh, White Barn Candle. 
<laughs> just the tons. list goes on. List goes on. If you went to any outdoor mall, uh, if you look around, pretty much all the stores that were there, probably fifty percent of the stores were there, were limited brand stores because Le- uh, Wexner was the original. Um, he conceptually he came up with the idea of some of these. Like if you guys are in Columbus, Ohio, um, he developed what was it called, Julie? That amazing outdoor mall, Easton. Easton, yeah. yeah. And there's similar Easton type things down in Florida and just different parts of the world where you're walking around. Well, we there was Las a huge, Vegas, Austin. Austin Austin, right. And so he developed all that concept where you're walking around what feels like an old European village. And the center of the European village is going to be usually, it's literally a water fountain. So they just modeled it after. Parks, restaurants. Right. You know, it's so a he, thing. He, he's, he was the founder of making, doing that a thing. Right. And it's, again, you guys are hopefully familiar with what we're talking about. That was all Les Wexner's uh, mastercraft, is coming up with the concepts of recreating this sort of, you know, medieval European villages that, in a modern version of, for the sake of selling you a bunch of overpriced candles. I mean, that really summarizes <laughs> it, right? Yeah. And uh, but the experience was special. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we learned from the executives is that when they were, actually, I even remember who told us this now as so mm. I was talking. So White Barn Candle Company was a homegrown uh, brand. That's mm-hmm. something that Wexner people created they didn't buy it mm-hmm. most of the other companies they were that they owned they, they bought acquired, yeah so i remember we were you remember he was a tall guy he was a creative guy he was he lived right on yantis or something i don't remember his name sort of and he um he was uh, advising us on one of our startups uh-huh. uh powerhouse oh yeah yeah yeah. okay yeah, i don't yeah, remember, I remember his name we will in a second mike something it was mike something yeah, yeah. super nice smart guy yeah. brilliant guy and he was, uh, he told us that what they did with, when, with White Barn is they modeled out who their ideal customer was. And they even had a name for, it was a gal. So, or, you know, I don't remember all the I details. I remember this, yeah. Yeah, do you remember? It was interesting conceptually for sure. Right. So they drew up, they'd actually have a picture and let's, let's just say they called her Jane. And Jane was, um, you know, 35 years old. She was had three children and she, you know, looked like this. She bought her clothes from here. This is the, you know, food that she liked to eat. This is the, they actually, as much as they can, could creatively and using analytical data uh, described exactly who their perfect customer was and when designing their perfect customer then they also went as far as to say well these are you know jane's hopes fears this is what she wants for her life this is what she's newspaper she reads and just an exact profile uh, all the way down to you know everything height and weight even i remember he was talking about um so a lot of it was just guessing but what they were trying to do is they were trying to portray for the sake of marketing and creating products a ideal customer so that when they were creating this customer, they'd always say, was this something Jane would want? Mm-hmm. Is this a product Jane would buy? Yeah. Is this is this like something that's going to basically make – if Jane walks into her, you know, this fictitious Jane, if she's holding this product in her hand, what is she actually thinking about the font? What is she thinking about the smell, the colors? And then they expanded it too and, and were including like older Janes and younger Janes and things like that. But I always thought that was an interesting concept in essence. So when you're creating a product, you have to create who your ideal customer is. So Julie and I are on a walk yesterday, and um, you guys know we try to walk, uh, I mean, virtually every day we try to walk six miles. So um, the fight not to get old and fat is real. It is real. <laughs> every day. Every day. Doing what you don't want to do. But you don't want to do Mostly it. Mostly I want to do it, though. It's fun. It's yeah. Good. We're walking Once Ritz, we get out the door. We're walking on the Ritz-Carlton, Puerto Rico. Yeah, you can't really complain about that, Could can you? worse things, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were um, walking around, and I was expressing to Julie some experiences. And I have these in varying levels of intensity, but with coaching clients and with people texting me and with just things I'm reading. And the, the essence of it is, and we've, you, I think you guys will relate to all this. The essence of it is, is how do we express, how do we actually give people a drilled down, non-woo-woo, non-mindset-y 
um, solution to them not to them feeling like their best days are behind them in essence. Mm -hmm. And it happens and it creeps up on you. Well, at least it feels like it does. But what happens is people sort of creep, you know, they enter into an age bracket. It can start at usually in the mid thirties where people will start giving up in little tiny incremental ways. And then those things obviously have their own um, momentum. And by the time you reach 50 or whatever, you've essentially even forgotten maybe how to even think big. But what we, what we see and what we feel from a lot of people that engage with us are people that are still have a, they could still feel that feeling that they felt when they were young. Like when I'm around Zoe and I see essentially, I mean, she does absolutely have an inflated sense of what she can do. Like we're taking her to (laughs) gymnastics and she didn't like get tens on all of her. I mean, you get your story. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is like class number five, maybe. And so, you know, they're doing that. Her her gymnastics teacher is a real gymnast. We t- often she talk about. She went to the Olympics. About, yeah. She was in the Olympics when she, I think she started the Olympics when she was like 15. Very competitive. We talk a lot about who your coaches should be that they should have, you know, actually, actually done, done <laughs> what they're yeah. teaching you. She qualifies as that. She, she competed for the United States as a Puerto Rican. And, uh, you know, just total gymnast looking person, of course. And But she's detailed. She's starting with. The fundamentals, right? And so every class they have the bar, which is like a kid size bar. They have balance beam. They've got all this stuff, right? And so Zoe was supposed to be doing, a, I think she's working on a handstand, but there's there's like form to a handstand. She didn't, and so the other kids rate her and she was so pissed that she didn't get the top score. And, and it, I could actually see her brain processing like, Oh, I can't just instantaneously, I can't hit the easy button. I can't skip steps. Do you mean there's like detail to doing this? And I, I like, I literally could see that being one of the first times that she, cause she is good at a lot of stuff out of the gates, but it was shocking to her. Well, she's, in, it was she's, upsetting she's to her. intellectually uh, gifted. She's, well, I don't even want to use the word gifted. She's smart. She's smart. I mean, she, she reads two grades level higher. She's at, you know, she's, you know. Yeah, she, it's helps. Just, she has reason to believe that she ought to be able to do whatever she feels like. But she's a little cocky. She is. Yeah. Until something like that happens. Right. And she and, gets knocked down a few times. And pegs. that's the reason I'm not looking forward to the bike experience after exactly. this. But the moral of the story is, is that when you have that spark, that little spark that we're describing. The enthusiasm for The enthusiasm, it. Yeah. or at least this sort of unbridled enthusiasm, mm-hmm. the belief that there, everything's a possibility. Confidence. Right. At what point does that start to go away? I suppose, I mean, it's, so it's mm-hmm. a psychological thing, right? She's going to fall off that bike and she's probably going to skin a few knees today. But the reality of it is, is as long as we basically encourage her to get back up on yeah. that bike again, which of course we will, mm-hmm. then the skin knees don't matter. It's the success of actually having done it. That's Right. If she quits at the skin knees, then the experience will be about the skin knees. If she pushes past the skin knees and then she goes uh, to having actually ridden a bike, she only remember the skin knees. Mm-hmm. And so I think what happens is a lot of people throughout life, they stop at the skin knee and they never push past it yeah. to experience the success. See, this is the exact conversation that we had a few days ago in Facebook Live Premier Coaching is those stages of mastery, which also will be in our upcoming book, right? right? So you have formulation, concentration, momentum, and breakthrough. And what everybody wants, just like Zoe on her gymnastics day, she wanted to be in momentum instantly. She wanted to be like the rock star after not even learning the fundamentals, okay? This is exactly like a lot of agents out there who want to get right into production, but they feel like because of their enthusiasm, you know, I appreciate that. But it's harder to do if you're skipping things like your pre-listing package, your presentation skills, objection handling, and being able to actually produce the leads that you wish to have. 
you it's actually impossible not just in real estate but in life you're getting to you're, skip the concentration the work part right so let's not go down that path let's just focus on with the psychology of somebody who wants to have their flame relit yes right? and that's what we get up we we a lot of those people will discover us and they like us and they listen to us and then they become coaching clients. And I mm-hmm. think the reason that they do ultimately is because they feel in the past like they've been lied to by a lot of the easy button type things out there. And they're done right. in- intellectually and I think um, spiritually and certainly financially, mm-hmm. they're done taking shortcuts. Those yeah. we, we get the people to just rounding the bend on your previous point yeah. about the uh, levels of learning, stages mm-hmm. of mastery, right? Sure. We get people that are in the uh, conscious incompetence phase, mm-hmm. right? That's Those are the types of people we attract. But what I'm we just to make sure we stay on the course so we can mm-hmm. finish up our because we have three stories that are kind of competing with each other right now. <laughs> right. We never finished, it's Sunday. We never finished our Monterey trip one. That's By the way, here's the summary of that one. We're going to be out in Monterey for a car week in August, um, and then we're going to drive up to Oregon, and then we don't know what we're going to do Wood after Forest. that. Yeah, Redwood Forest. So if you guys are out in that neck of the woods, uh, keep that in mind because we'd love to meet up with you someplace. And but, our podcast also might get kind of weird those two weeks. So. Yeah, we're going to be doing a lot. We'll, <laughs> we'll be doing still do a, them. a travel log basically. Well, so uh, that person, the ideal, you know, if you if we were to create that, um, the ideal customer or the person mm-hmm. that we're creating products for, right? Mm-hmm. And in, you and I did that when we were on our, our walk. We kind of created our own, uh, you know, Jane and our own Bob, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what their hopes, their dreams, and their fears of. And the thing that we always go back to is their lack of exposure. And the yes. lack of exposure, and that's the reason Julie and I, I think subconsciously, we're both talking about Monterey. We hadn't intended to talk about that. But when we're talking about all these experiences that we've been so blessed to have around all of just the different car things, some of you guys were listening and thinking we were braggarts. Some of you guys were listening and you're thinking like, I can't relate, and all sorts of emotions in between. But you got to remember, Julie and I are just normal uh, people with no specific or special gifts or talents or anything else from Columbus, Ohio. I mean, you know, I was born, you know, <laughs> lower middle class, marginally poor family, and that's how we pretty much were forever. And Julie's from a couple of school teachers, so she was just a couple financial rungs up the ladder than me. But we had virtually no exposure yeah. to the things that we then started having exposure to voluntarily once we got older. And the car week thing is a for example. And there were a lot of other examples as well, too, that we won't talk about now. But what we did do is we did intentionally put ourselves in a place, uh, and again, the car hobby actually helped. We did intentionally put ourselves in a place where we are getting uh, exposed to people that were vastly different than anything else that was in our normal uh, you know, universe and our normal orbit. And that's incredibly important. And I, and I have to say, I, I don't, I don't want to lose, get it too far off track, but there are a lot of benefits right now to all the social media and things like that. Mm-hmm. Because you can literally cross, I, I was uh, on Clubhouse and Glenn Sanford, who's yeah. now got a company that he started you know, seven years ago, or mm-hmm. no, no, I'm sorry, in 2007, called EXP Realty. Well, EXP Realty is now worth uh, $9 billion. Yeah. And Glenn Sanford and, and uh, his ex-wife own basically half the company. So so Glenn and his ex-wife are worth basically almost $5 billion. Yeah. And in 2007, it was just an idea. He created it out of it's incredible. It is incredible. But you can right mm-hmm. now, I mean, if you're an EXP. Wait, you did last night. 
Well, if you're an EXP realty, uh, a realtor, you can actually message uh, Glenn on Workplace and almost every single time he's going to get back with you. So you're going to be able to rub elbows directly with a billionaire, which is just unbelievable. And he's, he's a, a fascinating speaker when I listen to him talk on Clubhouse because he does he, he goes right to the practical. He's not real. He, I think he obviously has a, an appreciation for the woo-woo, but what's really fascinating about how he answers people's questions, because that is what you can do. You can ask Glenn, and there's other billionaires too, at least self-proclaimed billionaires on Clubhouse. I, truthfully, I think Glenn's the only one I ever see that I know for sure is a billionaire. But he had, answers these questions in such detailed, thoughtful ways that I hope you guys aren't taking it for granted, truthfully. I hope you understand and appreciate the enormous um, opportunity that is for you to at the very least be exposed to how somebody who in such a ridiculously short period of time has created something so amazing. Uh, it's going to change the real estate industry forever. I mean, and who really, really came from all of our space. I mean, he's yeah. not like some guy that had some other company that no. decided real estate was a big opportunity, so I'm going to go do this. No, he actually walked in your shoes. He actually understands how agents think. And we joke sometimes that we speak agent. You know, it, that it is a different language, and he comes from within, you know, all of our same ethos. Well, and I think you can tell. Well, I mean, that was that, what you just said. He used to run a real estate team and was, yeah. you know. But one of the things that I was originally very attracted to about EXP, and you and I were on the same page with this, this was years ago, mm -hmm. was the simple fact that Glenn's mission with the uh, EXP Realty was in perfect alignment with our our yes. coaching business. Mm -hmm. And I'd never ever, every, how do I explain that in a more precise way? So Julie and I, in order for us to not feel like we're hypocrites, basically, always have to be doing things, creating products, saying things in such a way that we, we sincerely feel like we're being of service to all of you guys. So our mission and our professional mission in life is obviously to make your lives better. And that is sometimes, uh, you know, it's just whatever it takes, honestly. There's sometimes we have to be, you know, maybe overly direct. And sometimes we have to be, you know, amiable and really supportive. We have to tell you what to do. We have to be tactical. We have to be practical. But when Julie and I are, you know, writing Harris Rules or one of our other books or even doing any of our podcasts, we're always thinking in terms of are we actually – just pontificating just for the sake of pontificating or are we saying things or you know are we saying things that are just basically manipulative things to try to sell somebody something i mean we don't do that we don't uh, matter of fact if we did do more stuff like that we probably make a lot more money truthfully but we don't <laughs> we always think and because ultimately we know after having been you know in this industry for decades we know ultimately if we make your guys' lives better we might have fewer sales but the people that we end up doing business with stay customers and friends frankly and extended family members for decades and that's, that's what true. we've experienced and we're not going to deviate from that well every single and there are no exceptions to this i'm sure there are but none that we stumbled across of people that were in the space of selling stuff to real estate agents had that philosophy. And it was impossible for Julie and I to really associate with virtually any of them. Because when you got to know the founders of these companies on a personal level, what you quickly realized was, is they really were just selling a product and they did they had really virtually no emotional attachment to the end user other than to frankly other than the uh, the financial benefit to their themselves and their business they were not real estate people they were just you know marketers of some tchotchke type product and that's definitely definitely the truth now and I, again that's the reason Julie and I we get people asking all the time to advertise on our podcast and to you know be on our podcast and to sponsor our podcast we probably wave off I, I don't even want to think about how much money every year um, from people that basically that want to essentially allow us to you know you guys get exposure to them and we won't do it 
because I don't think unless they have the same level of integrity, and maybe that word's not integrity, that's a little strong. Mm-hmm. Unless they're on the same mission as we are, and frankly, Glenn Sanford was, then they're not somebody we want in our foxhole, basically. Because I don't want to bring to you guys anybody who we don't know at the end of the day is truly trying to be um, in your wheelhouse as far as, you know, supporting you in your, your business. And that's what Glenn was. And Glenn said this one thing, and I'll never forget, it was in a YouTube video. He said, basically, one of the core founding principles of him forming EXP Realty was to protect agents from themselves. Yeah. I thought, I thought, wow, that was quite a statement. <laughs> That's quite a well, mission. But what, did, what do you think he meant by that? I know what he meant because he went on to say mm-hmm. the agents don't do two things. They don't save for taxes mm-hmm. and they don't save for retirement. And most agents basically retire broke and, you know, the whole thing. It's, and it's true. Everything he said was exactly true. true. And so he said, so I, one of the, uh, you know, agents don't have any equity in the brokerages they work with. They don't, they can't, you know, for the most part, other than maybe some of them, and some minority of them buy rental properties, they don't have the ability to create passive income, all these things he said. Um, and that's what he fixed with EXP Realty. Now, well, and- he, he's enabled agents to make multiple income streams, not just transactional stream. Right. And I mean, that's huge. I, you hear it from people where, where they're like, you know, I, I've got a consistent, even if it's two or $3,000 a month, it's life changing. From revenue share. Because it's consistent. Right. And yes. they're making, in most part, they make, uh, they pay the brokerage less in terms of commissions, the cap at EXP is 16 grand, but you get multiple streams of income. And it's so hilarious to me, even as EXP is spreading internationally, even as EXP continues on this trajectory of becoming the largest real estate brokerage in the world in the history of real estate brokerages, even as EXP is publicly traded, even as you can read all the public filing statements on EXP, just to kind of, you know, sort out any sort of, you know, people still like to pass, competitors mostly, like to pass rumors about EXP, which are all easily proven to be false if you just read the public filings from uh, EXPI, which is the ticker symbol. If you look at what all the financial, big financial houses are saying about the company and about the stock, you cannot, honestly, guys, at the end of the day, you're missing the boat in the biggest of most. And this is going to be one of the things, unfortunately, some of you are going to regret the most about not having actually joined EXP Realty. And that's the truth. And that's how we felt when we aligned a little over two years ago. We realized that at least assuming there would be no fundamental blunders, that EXP Realty was going to change the world in the same fundamental way that we wanted to with regards to being of service to agents. And we had never come across anything that was that profoundly significant and could have that much. Per- we tried to do it in our coaching business, mm-hmm. and we, we obviously still do. Yeah. I mean, that's our mission. We're trying to create the ideal coaching environment for all of you. Um, but, you know, it's, you, you still have to apply what we teach you at the end of the day. And what I liked about what, you know, EXP Realty and what Glenn created was he actually put a system in place through revenue share. You get equity in the company, <laughs> all these other things that you can actually do it somewhat passively and still build wealth. And that combined with what are we doing coaching and training was for me the perfect, unbelievably, un, just unreal um Truthfully, almost spiritual. I hesitated to use that word. Synergy, but it and it took us a while to realize that because I think that subconsciously we just didn't think that that kind of thing was out there. That it kind of all brokerages were basically the same and didn't really matter as long as you liked them and your location was good, right? I mean, we weren't really looking for that, so that made it that much more surprising. I think when we discovered it. And then you've got to put that in the grinder for a while, like some of our listeners do and say, because one of the, one of the common things when they see the actual model is disbelief. Like, is that really for real? Does it really work that way? It's, it's really fun to see people process that and then go, oh, 
well, if it does really work that way, how cool is that? It's like, you know, we joke about you can't unsee it once you've seen the actual facts. So I think that's pretty cool. Well, I'm going to circle back and we're going yeah. to talk about lack of exposure. Yes. But when you see so many different things like uh, Grant Cardone, mm-hmm. um, you, I personally, I think Grant, I like his books. I like a lot of the stuff he does. I know he's a very controversial person, but who gives a rat's ass? Net, net. The guy does a lot of good, period. And I, he's very motivational. And truthfully, I love anybody that's in his age bracket that has decided to lock it in and basically yeah. take his life to the next level. I admire that. Definitely. I always have. Mm-hmm. You know, people that get – and it is kind of ironic, too, that when you look at the most successful people that all of us even admire, uh, living and dead, most of them didn't find – and this is circling back. Yeah. Most of them didn't find their greatest levels of success, what they're known for historically until they were in their 50s. Yes. People don't know that. Warren Buffett, Enzo Ferrari – um, I mean, you can go down the litany of presidents. Mm-hmm. Most people do not experience their greatest levels of success until they're in what some people would consider their latter stages or their second, third, fourth innings or whatever the hell that societally well, people yeah. try to sell Even some actors, you know, Harrison Ford didn't get a real gig till he was in his mid-30s. He used to be a carpenter at the uh, yeah, Laguna, Laguna Theater. Yeah, Laguna Playhouse. I mean, so I, I think you're right that you have to watch your expectations and realize the, the facts that a lot of people don't find it until they're a little bit through life. Right. And so you're going to see an EXP Realty. You're going to see a lot more. And I heard a lot of rumors, and some of which I know are true, of a lot of the really, truly famous big name, I can't believe the EXP, uh, those people who join EXP Realty that are joining EXP Realty. And they are because these smart, influential, truly influential people, not fake influencers, but people that truly have influence, they're all seeing what EXP Realty has done and is going to do. And this is something that uh, you just cannot allow your ego, your disbelief, your skepticism. You can't allow it to stand in your way anymore. You've got to take a hard look at it. Um, this is going to be one of those things. I there. So the EXP uh, is about to split. Matter of fact, it may have split last week, the shares. I don't remember. I think it's this Friday. This Friday? Oh, yeah, you're right. I think right. it's the 19th. Yeah. So yeah. The, the share, the stock equity, and I've been getting screenshots from people that Julie and I have had join our EXP Realty team and just thanking us. It's like, God, I don't have anything to do with it, you know? But <laughs> yeah. I'll take I'll take the praise You're and the thanks. though. Yeah. And I've been seeing screenshots of people who have never had savings before, but because they've uh, taken advantage of the various programs that Glenn set in place to allow agents to buy the stock at a discount, get awarded the stock. There's agents. I know one agent, I don't want to say her name in Atlanta, but I know one agent in particular who over she's been involved with exp for probably a year and a half and now she's basically become a millionaire uh, i mean she may have already been a millionaire but now she essentially has become a let's say at least a single digit if not double digit millionaire just from basically her involvement in exp yes. doing her normal business right yeah, nothing exceptional and, and not being like a crazy recruiter that i think that's one of the myths that that's out there that she you, hasn't been no no she's just been doing the deals that she normally would do yep and talking to agents and being awarded stock and taking it and buying stock at the discount when she can and watching her money and and then, you know, boom, there you go. But it's how, incredible. But how amazing is that? So for me, super amazing. So she's been a long term uh, time coaching client. Mm-hmm. And we and she was not the easiest person in the world for us to convince to go to EXP, That's but true. we did. Mm-hmm. And she went to EXP. Mm-hmm. And now she is one of the most appreciative people. You know, I mean, for sure. yeah. And, and that is for me, that is the, the proof mm-hmm. of what we were hoping was true when we aligned over two years ago, that it was the perfect combination of what we wanted to create the goodwill in the world that we wanted to create in our business sure. and essentially what EXP. And now you're seeing all those things that are, it's taking a little longer than I would have mm-hmm. hoped, honestly, 
sure. but that's what's actually happening. And, and now in, in our own, um, our group at EXP, I'm seeing all these people that are celebrating. Some of them are making like $800 a month passive, but I have, we know people that are now going to make like $250,000, $300,000 this year from revenue share mm-hmm. in our revenue share group. And we've only, our revenue share group, most of these people have only been involved in less than two years. Obviously we're not making any guarantees or promises or, you know, whatever. No, other we're discri- just showing them what could be yeah, and what has been and is going on for, I mean, these are real, we're not making any of this up. So let's circle you know. back to Bob and Jane. Yes. Okay. So mm-hmm. Bob and Jane, that again, these are these fictitious people that Julie and I were talking about when we were on our walk yesterday, and and we were trying to we we want to write a book, and we want to write a book for everyone who basically can still feel that spark but doesn't know what direction. Maybe they've had a bunch of false starts trying to make that spark into a you know a little bit of a fire and then make it into a bonfire, let alone some sort of roaring fire, you know, of success. But a lot of people, what happens, the older you get, the less likely you might still feel that spark, but the less likely you are to actually even try to make that into some sort of low-level kindling, right? And, and that's, what we, that's what we see in life in general. And depending on where you live, your lack of exposure to people that will just by accident cause you to think bigger, it is really oppressive with your ability to actually ever create something out of yourself, even though maybe inside of your heart, you know, you want to, and you know, you, you can. And so when we were walking around, we were trying to like, so what are the problems and the hopes and the fears of these two fictitious people and what's holding them back? And we really came up with three different um, buckets of things that were holding these people back. These two fictitious characters that we came up with. Do you remember what they were? I do. Uh, lack of exposure was one. Well, it was environment. Mm-hmm. It was so. There's three things that you guys can control, and three things. And, and again, we're still working formulating this for a book. But there's three things you can control. And by control, I mean as much as you possibly can. But not nobody can truly control anything. But three things you can control. Number one is your environment. Number two is your physical state. Number three is your financial state. Uh, you could argue two relationships as well, but at the end of the day, there's three things that you can truly control because you can have direct re- uh, action equals results on all those particular things, right? Um, and we don't need to banter back and forth that you can. Just think that through. So you've got physical, environment, and financial, those three things. So if you can control those three things, then you probably are going to, well, not probably, all the other aspects of your life that might be ailing are going to turn themselves around if you can control those three things. But ultimately, the reason that a lot of people don't realize that's true is because of their lack of exposure. It's their environment. Yes, because they they haven't been exposed to people who are doing all those things at a high level. Right. It's hard to believe that it can actually happen. Yeah. And and if you think back in your life, there's so many different things. Like, would you ever know how to ride a bike if you'd never seen somebody ride a bike? Of course not. You'd be like, what is that thing? I mean, there's so many different things I, I... in one of the other books that we've done, we I talked about like the Harlem Boys Choir. Who would think that the Harlem Boys Choir, where people kind of send their kid to do something after school, would be like making the most incredible music? Why? Because the people that lead that show them, they coach them, they teach them, they expose them to beautiful things. And then all of a sudden, they know, you know, they learn how to do it. It's innate within all of us, right? Sure. It, it's there's something innate within all of us to want to create, to evolve. But it helps to, to see express. somebody do it. Like I didn't right. know a human could run at twelve point zero on a treadmill until I saw the Orange Theory coaches doing it. And then I'm like, huh, that's interesting. How do you do that? And then they would show you how to incrementally up your speed and change your incline and do all these things. But I had no idea on my own. 
I just thought, you know, you run that fast, you're going to have a heart attack or something. But that's, Until I saw people doing it easily. But the, there you go. So lack of exposure. You yes. can You can make up for that lack of exposure no matter where you're, what your environment is. Yes, but and you have to be actively doing that. You have to seek it out. You can't you wait have, for it to be done to you. It, well, yeah. it, so that's touching on something yeah. very fascinating. It's sort of like our media-free mantra. Mm-hmm. But what happens uh, over time is that your environment becomes surrounded by things that reinforce, like wherever and whatever, you know, Bob and Jane, remember Julie and I are formulating this for these two fictitious people, wherever they are, whatever they look like, whatever their surroundings are, whatever their you know, lifestyle is, whatever their thoughts are, whatever their nature of their relationships are, the nature of their checking account balances. Do people even have checking accounts anymore? They do. They're online. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> well, the nature of all that stuff is really, uh, yeah, exactly. It's based on past decisions mm-hmm. and past decisions that could go back decades. And, and who they're surrounded with. You know, sometimes I see on agent forms, I see evidence of this, like, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about in the book I wrote down this morning was uh, over time, as people give up, you hear things like, oh, it's not about the money for me. It's not about the money, you know. And then so everybody around you is reinforcing that, that, oh, yeah, you know, real estate's hard. It's feast or famine all the time. That's just how it is. And then you start to believe that. And I've even seen kind of toxic brokerages where everybody's sort of on that same page. You just said something interesting. And I actually want a real uh, mm-hmm. Uncle G back in here, okay? Okay. So Grant Cardone said something really fascinating, which I really liked. Um, and it was just on a clubhouse. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to admit clubhouse. that. I've been listening to that dumb thing for like an hour a day. No. But uh, he said that, so there was, again, a situation where there was a, a lot of people in this room and he was on the stage and people were asking for advice and one of the questions was the usual question that everyone, you know, mostly you know, doe-eyed millennials like to ask about, implying that they need to be have passion in something to be oh, yeah. successful and all this. And then Grant told the story. He said that he developed his original uh, product, and his product basically is a uh, he calls it Cardone University, and it's mm-hmm. a, it's essentially a sales system. And it's his background is mostly teaching uh, car people how to sell. That's mm-hmm. that's his bread and butter, right? Mm-hmm. And so he created the sales system. But I think he's made it universal enough that it essentially can appeal to anybody. And you know, it's not it's any more, kind of sales. Not just it's more of a generalized sales mm-hmm. system, right? Mm-hmm. Which is fine, yeah. right? It's great. So he created the system uh, originally around specifically car people, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a generalized sales approach. Mm-hmm. And he said he had so much passion and belief in this product. Uh, that that and he was that was the hill. That he was, was his thing. He was going to die on that hill. Yeah. This product is. Speci- I'm going to turn around the cars. You know, everyone's going to learn how to sell cars, and they're going to follow the Cardone. You know, whatever, whatever. And that was. And and then he was saying he said he was constantly experiencing because he was following his passion. You you know, stay with me here, listeners. So he was following his passion that I had this passion, this product. It's the best ever. It's going to help everyone to basically sell more cars, happier customers, more car sales. You know, passion, passion, passion. I believe in it. You know, if you guys have any exposure to this guy, he has an, an absolute, you know, Big ball, ball of energy, right? Yep. And then he said he realized he made a huge mistake because he said he should have been doing, and this is, I love this on this uh, clubhouse too. He said what he should have been doing is he should have been following the money, not following his passion, which is frankly the honest answer. Mm-hmm. Because the money is going to, your job as a business person um, is not to follow your passion. Your job as a business person is to make a product that the that your customers you know, are willing to bu- uh, pay for that exceeds their expectations. Your job as a uh, an entrepreneur is to create a product or a service, but let's just say everything's a product, right? Whether it's a service or not, that's just for the sake of conversation, it's all product. So your job is to make a product 
that is superior to your competitor's product, that exceeds the expectations of your customer, so your customer feels absolute overwhelming value for what they receive, for what they pay. You want, ultimately, you don't want your customers to necessarily feel like they've ripped you off because you're providing so much more value than they expected, but you want something right on the edge of the customer feeling like they got so much more value. Outrageous value. Right, and that's what we that's what we strive for in our, our business. We want to make it so that we provide uh, you know overwhelming value to the point where you feel like you've underpaid when you engage doing business with us and our coaching yeah. company. That's our mission, basically. That's how we create things. Because then if you there's no way you're going to, uh, you know, there's no way you're going to have a customer who does not feel spoiled. And that's what we want right. to do. But well, you give the customer what they want. Right. That's not what you think they want. Yes, and, exactly. and, that's, and that's what Grant was saying. Grant said the truth. He said, you follow the money. Follow the money. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's, it's so true. And But in that little sort of feel good, everyone gets a participation trophy environment that he was in, I thought it was awesome that he said that because it was the truth, but it was also not the popular answer. Definitely Be, not. Because everybody wants the follow the passion and the money will come. Everybody wants to have believe these woo-woo things about money. Money does not give a rat's ass about what your passion is. Nope. Money just, you are rewarded with money. The money is a direct mirror of the services you provide to other people and the problems, thus your services and your products have helped solve for other people. That's it. So the more products, or the more services, I'm sorry, the more problems you solve for other people, the more money you have. So if you don't have the amount of money that you think you deserve or would like to have, it's just because you haven't helped enough other people solve their problems. That's okay. really the formula for life. And he had he was, you know, saying the truth. It was it was interesting to listen to the reaction of, of people who are, you know, um, also moderators or on the you know on this virtual stage. They didn't know what to say. Yeah. They didn't know what to think. Because Again, this is what we say. Mm-hmm. We ultimately, guys. It's also what we teach, by the way, because totally. that's very much the sharpie clothes that we teach. Absolutely, and it's it, but it's the truth. It's yeah. the no. It is absolutely a no bullshit bottom line. Mm-hmm. That is the truth. Yeah, and it, it also, I think, takes the ego out of it because yep. you know if you're like, oh, my product is so good because I have passion about it because I say it is because I've spent all this time on it without actually finding out whether anybody wants that or cares about it. Right. That's that's ego. That's making the assumption. Just like an agent going into a listing, you know, and presuming that you know what's best for the client without even asking really good questions. It's all related. Yeah. So he said, basically, he, he said when he realized that he was just doing, following his ego in essence to create a product that he thought they would want versus actually listening to what they said, listening to what, you know, they said they wanted. He said as soon as he pivoted and realized his job was to create a superior product for his customers, that's when basically his business turned around. And, and that really so is. So what does Bob and Jane, what do they actually want? That's the right. question. And you know what? We do do this in coaching on a on a different level. You know, we often have coaching clients that will have kind of an unusual property. It's almost always like farm and land or commercial or mixed use. And I always ask them, who is your customer? Because they're thinking about, oh, I'm going to do all my normal stuff. And then it doesn't sell. It's because you didn't drill down on who is your customer. So I think you can apply that thought in a lot of different ways. And, you know, just trying to relate all of our various stories back to well, but something practical. Well, you're right. But you're sort of also touching on something else, which is sort of fascinating. A lot of agents will... It, again, this is all basically rooted in ego and narcissism. Mm-hmm. In essence, they'll say, "I my ideal customer is here." I'll get. Yeah. I'll give you. I'm going to give you guys a little, you know, decoder ring on uh, how to run a successful business. Your ideal customer is anybody that, that wants to do business with you. That's it. <laughs> right. Okay. Your ideal customer is anybody that will spend money that will result in you making your profit. That is your ideal customer. And for you to spend all of this 
really ridiculous over engineering over engineering over analyzing who your ideal customer is not like what would you know julie and i are doing with bob and jane right that's what i'm saying but on the real estate side you do we um, we can give you tons and tons of examples and how the you know sort of gnarliest mobile home that shows up on your radar if someone who wants to sell this thing they just inherited from their uncle jeb that's out in the middle of a hall or someplace right you go out and list that and it turns out that basically said mobile home is backing up to some billionaire's land and the guy's oh, been yeah. trying to buy the land forever and you become buddies with the billionaire and now he's listing all his i mean the the unintended consequences of saying yes to opportunities in real estate are never ending yeah, versus oh no i don't deal with trailers right and and then you got again we're i'm not going to get on this julie and i aren't going to veer too far off center here but those of you said oh i'm a luxury agent i only do luxury mm-hmm. yeah whatever well <laughs> I, I here's another example when they think they're going to get into the reo business and they have to fill out their applications and say what zip codes they want to have reos in and they put all like the most high-end luxury zip code you can because i don't want to be bothered with normal people stuff right and then they wonder why they don't get any assignments but because goes, there aren't that many reos up there but that goes back to um maybe frankly lack of exposure, yes. but it also goes back to making the business about you. Mm-hmm. The business cannot be about you if you want the business to be successful. Your business has to be about your customer, 100%. Your efforts have to be about what's best for Bob and Jane, 100%. And what, like what Glenn did when he started EXP. Glenn's became a billionaire because he's helped, I don't even know how many people become you know, at least financially secure, if not millionaires. And I know several people who is probably also going to make into billionaires, yeah. assuming EXP uh, continues on its ascension. It's a very clear example yeah. of being of service and providing value in his case to agents. Right. Which is extremely unique. So Bob and Jane, if you're finding yourself, you're either a Bob or a Jane out there in the ether listening to us someplace, um, and you're relating to what we're saying, and you're maybe not where you wanted to be, hoped to be, and you still can feel that spark of life within you. You really got to start with who you're allowing in your head. You've got to start with the exposure that, you know, what you're exposing yourself to. Um, you know, everything, screens in general, are designed to basically put you in a catatonic state, basically. How much screen time do you have every single day? How much screen time do you have where you're essentially listening to or surrounding yourself with more people that are just essentially trying to reinforce your mediocrity? And we, you can, we can drill down on this forever, but the easiest way for you to uh, break past being stuck. Sorry, I had a Diet Coke. Uh, <laughs> sneak up on you. The, the, easiest, the easiest way to sneak or move past um, your sort of complacent mindset about your potentiality is truly just to expose yourself to other people. That's the easiest way to do it. Because just by accident, you're going to start listening to what they say, hearing what they say. Everybody says the same thing. Read books. And in this case, you know, obviously listen to podcasts. Do things they're going to give you to expose, put you in a place where you're having exposure to people that will either intentionally or accidentally inspire you. And if you're not seeking out people like that, so your environment is your physical environment, right? But your environment is also your mental environment. In essence, what you're allowing yourself to be exposed to. If you really want to make that little spark that you still feel within you into something more significant, you're going to have to start there because you can forever join a health club and buy all these keto or low carb books and build all these financial plans and work on your dream boards and all the rest of it. But if you're constantly feeding your mind and your soul with crap that's going to keep you small, how the hell do you ever expect to break free of that? So what Jules and I did is uh, we did have exposure to people that were much more affluent than us because prior when we were in high school and prior and, and through college, we had a car cleaning and detailing business. And guess who one of our customers was? Les Wexner 
who basically was, you know, the richest man in Ohio, probably is one of the, I think, 100 richest people on planet Earth. And we used to take care of his cars. And he also used to belong to a group called YPO, Young Presidents Organization. And we had a lot of YPO customers in Columbus, Ohio that were, and those people would then uh, introduce us to other people. And that is how Julian, now, unfortunately, not a lot of those people ended up doing us, using us for real estate when we got our licenses. Um, but it didn't matter because what we learned from that experience is even more valuable, right? Is we learned to think big, and that maybe, probably, most certainly had something to do with the reason that in our early twenties we sold over a hundred houses our first year because we had been exposed, inundated uh, with all these people who were not anything like what we grew up like, and were allowing us to think. And I, Julie, I truthfully, I remember as you and I got more and more exposure uh-huh. to those types of people. We definitely had resent, resentment. I know for from both of our families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And not, not anything that they could define as that from their perspective, but it, that definitely happens. You have to be able to digest remember that. Who you're, remember where you're from. Yeah. I mean, how many times we hear stuff know, like that? Definitely. People but don't... But you know, the other, the other element of exposure, it's not just being around people like those clients, those detail clients. It was being, I think this is a major thing that maybe we mentioned in the book also. It was being around people who were wealthy, but also were very philanthropic and giving and would invite us to stuff and, and, and send us as referrals. And I guess, I, you know, some pe- there's so many people that haven't been exposed to somebody with wealth who's not a jerk. They have it like made up in their head that they- Just the, very, just the very word wealth yeah. is for some people- a, 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 It's a trigger. It creates in bile in their back of their yeah, throats. Yeah, and, and that's they absolutely lack of exposure but, to it. But right, it's exactly what- you, So listen, if you're, if you're wanting to improve yourself- uh, financially, primarily, uh, because really, if you start there, you're going to improve other things just sort of by accident. But if you're wanting to improve yourself financially, it's, by the way, the easiest thing to do. It's e- it's actually easier to improve yourself financially than it is virtually any of the other categories of goal setting in life. Um, but you really have, and if you're not, and if you're at the point in your life where you're starting to think you never will, maybe you don't think you have what it takes, maybe, you know, you're listening to Julie and I talk and you say, oh, I'm not like them. I'm, yeah, you are. You're exactly like us. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, you probably started at a higher you know, point. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Higher level on the ladder. Yeah, exactly than we did. You most certainly did, right? Well, I'll tell you one thing. They're all selling real estate with better, bigger average sale prices and massively escalating prices, which affect your commission through no fault of your own. Well, Julie, We didn't have any of that. Think, it's like when you and I were in uh, the business and where did we get our, there were no overt places to go to get exposure to people in real life. No, you had Howard, to look Howard for Brenton. Um, and that was basically Well, it. we shadowed people, but, but you, you had to find it for right. sure. Shadowing was where you go. Coaching going. wasn't invented yet. Nope. Coaching wasn't around. Um, you know, shadowing was where you drive someplace and you spend a day with somebody who was a top producer. You know, you did things like that. But educationally, with the exposure, it's almost, you guys have, the problem is, is you're oversaturated yeah. with different ideas and things and you get over, you get confused. But the reality of it is, is you do have incredible opportunities, listening to podcasts, listening to different things, reading things, just become a very good, um, like, you know, I just had this visualization and it's Valentine's Day, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we go out tonight, which we probably won't because all the hotels are booked or all the restaurants are booked. booked. Yeah. But you know how, like when they're trying to, you know, you're ordering a bottle of wine and they put the, I always have you do this Mm because like, I don't really care, you know, (laughs) but they put the glass down they pull, you're always ordering Chardonnay and they pour a little Chardonnay and you're supposed to smell it and taste it and all that. And I don't know if you can discern the good bottle from a bad bottle at this point. It's either sweet or dry. That's (laughs) all I got. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, some people can. I mean, we've gone to dinner with people and they're like, oh no, this is, and they send it back. I don't do that. 
Right. And so, but it's interesting. Those are people that maybe A, are trying to show off or B, they actually can discern the yep. difference between a bad Power bottle and a good bottle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where people have to get as far as what they're willing to expose their minds to as far as information, right? Sure. And you have, if you're not really putting in place really strong filters of who you're going to listen to, then you just naturally, you're going to gravitate uh, towards uh, people that reinforce the person that you are. It's an unusual freak of a person that's going to intentionally make themselves uncomfortable for any long period of time. You might do it for like moments, but you're not going to do it. Most people aren't going to do it for a long period of time. So what you might do is you might start out like this year with all these New Year's resolutions. I'm going to turn everything around. I'm going to make this the best thing ever. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to whatever, whatever, whatever. And then what happens is maybe you start reading some books and you start watching some things that motivate you. You start, And then what happens is you pivot back and slowly the old software that had ruled your life for years, if not decades, creeps back in. And then comfortable. You, and you migrate back and all your friends sort of pull you back. Oh, you know what, Julie? You look good with that extra forty pounds. Right, <laughs> you know, it's okay. Or whatever, right? Yeah. Why do you? Why do you need? What you know? You don't need to go on those fancy vacations. We've been going to the you know Buckeye Riviera, which was uh, what was it Lake, Lake Erie, Erie, right? That's where people in Ohio went, right? That was the fancy vacation you yeah. drove or up Myrtle to, Beach. Or Myrtle, Myrtle Beach, Beach, right? Yep. <laughs> you know, and, and so what? Do, what do you mean you need, want to go to Paris? Who goes to Paris? Those people are all. You know how long it takes to get there? Yeah. Why do you? It's yeah. dangerous. What about terrorism? Right. I know. And so then you, all your little dreams and your hopes and your ambitions and the things. Backtrack. So it, you backtrack. And if you maybe decided you wanted to go to Paris, maybe you had this visual visualization of you going to Paris and you're wearing an, you know, a, a beautiful outfit and you're walking up the Eiffel Tower and you're eating croissants and having whatever, whatever. And you had all these, these emotions that were starting to be attached with this version of yourself that was having these experiences. And you're just unbelievably, your heart was starting to feel awake. And guess what? You were actually igniting those timbers and your little spark was starting to become a fire. And you were actually starting to move towards the person that actually, that you've always known in your heart would. And then you expose yourself to people say, what's wrong with the Lake Erie? And they try and stamp out what you had. And a lot of people, it doesn't take that much uh, kickback for them to give up. Nope. And they give up. And then and then they're surrounded by- It's like by, confirmation bias. And they're right? surrounded by their friends and their family members yeah. and maybe people they work with. And they're, you know, Julie, listen, I, look, I know you want to sell 25 houses this year, but aren't you going to stop and smell the roses? Yeah. All right. Why do you want to work that hard? Oh, That's, Julie, you look tired. Why are you working that hard? Exactly. You know, we miss you at the, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the hog throwing competition. I don't know what people do, right? <laughs> no, but you know what? Some of our coaching clients have come across this where I remember one story in particular um, where our agent was doing really well. She was at one of these award ceremonies and one of the agents was like, yeah, but I, I bet you don't have much of a family life. Exactly. You know, and she's like, well, actually I do. I have this and that planned and I'm going to make sure my kids are taken care of. And, you know, but she, her first reaction was, Kind of like F you. <laughs> but then she was like, actually, I do have this all planned out and I'm doing this on purpose. But but the attack was still there. And well, so, she was strong enough to push through that. But a lot of people aren't. So now you're touching on something else we talked about on our mm-hmm. walk yesterday mm-hmm. when we were thinking about writing this book for Bob and Jane. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mythical balance. Yes. Right. And that's that's something else that really screws people up. This yeah. belief. And that, it's easy to pick on. It's very easy to poke a stick at that. When I hear anybody, anybody's SOB guru types talk about how you follow their little sort of mythical mindset plan and how you magically can have balance in all aspects of your life. I just, it just, I, 
it just it offends me. Honestly, it offends me because it's such an obvious lie, and yet people believe it. And I'll tell you from a professional perspective why it offends me because we've coached people who were destroying their lives basically and their potential because they were trying to seek balance. That's yeah. that's what it offends me. It's I think such it an does ele- more harm than good. It's such an elegant lie. That's the thing about it. Yeah. It's, it's such well, a beautiful... Everybody scene. wants to believe that right. it's possible. Of course, utopia can happen. Exactly. But but then you cause so much stress and consternation trying to achieve that when, in fact, it's not, it's not even a valid thing to go after. You're going to have ebbs and flows to everything. Going after something, you know, physical, well, you know, maybe you're going to give up something on the other end for a little while till you work that out. And then the pendulum swings back. You know, I saw a good, I can't remember what I was reading, but it was an interesting graph of how for real estate agents, the ebb and flow between, you know, working on something and then business comes in, then family comes in, and and it's more intertwined than it is a perfect balance. Well, you can, so we it's in our book, Harris Rules. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we coach agents to do this. We, you, you really should start, truthfully, you should start with those those three categories, physical, uh, you know, obviously your environment and financial. If you focus primarily on those three categories, the other things will sort themselves out. Uh, and like I had, just as we're talking, I'm just thinking about someone in particular. I'm not going to mention his name. And this guy has so much potential. He's part of our EXP group, truthfully. Mm-hmm. He has so much potential. And he's he's just charismatic, a really, really great guy. Mm-hmm. And we, you and I have known him forever. Mm-hmm. And I know who you know I'm talking about. Okay. And he always is using family as his excuse for not actually going the extra mile for getting anything done. And he'll always say, well, I've got to do this or I've got to do the other thing. And I just wonder if he realizes that, you know, Johnny and Susie really do not give much of a rat's ass, whether he's at every soccer game. They'd much rather basically making it so that he can earn money to give the finan- give more financial security to the family. And there is this omnipresent uh, sort of dread from lack of financial security in the family that comes out when I talk to him that we're with, in the form of conflict with his wife. So he's not realizing that what he is actually doing is creating that financial insecurity in the family, yeah. which is adversely affecting his entire family because he's using the excuse of having to go to Johnny and Susie's you know, never-ending sports schedules. Yeah. And guys, that is a mistake. A lot of people use that. Yes. A lot of people. But that's a, that's and, a socialized excuse. That's exactly right, is that that is very much acceptable right. as an excuse. Now, we're not saying all in or not in. We're not saying don't support your kids and don't go to anything. But be realistic about it. You actually can do both. And one of the chapters in the book that I wrote down this morning, because it's under development, is that everything is better with money, okay? Your your family situation, your relationship with your spouse, your kids, your health, your ability to take care of anything that comes up. I mean, how many people get into these ruts because their insurance didn't cover something? Well, poor people problems, because we were poor. Yes. Okay, poor people problems are a thousand times worse than rich people problems. Yeah, well, and- I mean, problems in general are way worse when you have no money. Right, same. You, you can have the same problem because life goes on. You're going to have stuff happen to you. And whatever it is, you know, it's much better when you don't have on top of that financial insecurity. I promise you that, that Johnny and Susie would much rather have you put in some extra hours and actually earn enough money that you and your spouse didn't have to fight anymore or that they could actually go to Disney World and stay at Universal opposed to staying at the B&B that's outside of the swamp. I promise you that Johnny Hotel and six. Right. I promise you that Johnny and Susie would much rather have um you know their college is at least subsidized but you guys get the point and what you're doing and what a lot of people do and oh I could just feel the 
seething resentment as we say these things, yeah. but it's true. Mm-hmm. And these are the things that you learn are true after you've done as many coaching calls as we have. Definitely. We've done hundreds of thousands. It, who knows how many? Just ridiculous. Go jillions. For real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like it, it's so many self-created uh, problems that are just constantly reinforced. Yes. Right? And then it's the, all these things that people don't realize that most of their problems in life would go away if they solved the financial problem. Yeah, but it's because if I say to you, oh, it's okay, you know, the struggle is real, that's how, you know, most people are, blah, 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 then I'm making it okay for me to have that same struggle. You see that the reciprocity of accepting and reinforcing mediocrity makes it so I don't really have to work on myself. That's, right. that's the big spinning wheel of all this. And so if you're, again, spinning wheel, if you're constantly reinforcing yourself with other people, which all of you are, that are thinking and acting the same exact way. Uh, and you, I don't know if you guys have realized this, but most neighborhoods and communities have a tendency to, uh, you are attracted to a community that the people are all going to be similar to you in terms of obviously income, but also in terms of educational status, also from, uh, you may be religious status, also from all kinds of different things. Mm -hmm. So without knowing it, even if you've moved cross country, chances are you've ended up in essentially a different fishbowl surrounded by essentially the same people that you've been surrounded with forever. And you might move from Columbus, Ohio to San Francisco or Columbus, Ohio to even Puerto Rico, but you're going to gravitate without consciously uh, intervening. You're going to gravitate to recreate exactly what you had before, exactly the same thought patterns, because that's where you feel comfortable, secure, familiar. And, um, you know, again, this goes back to environment and, mm-hmm. and this really is sure. and all these things. If you, you have that spark that's, that's in, in you, I know you do, all of you do all, some of you, it comes and goes others of you. It's more than a spark. You've already got your own fire going and you want to know how to take that fire to the next level. You've got to really drill down on what you're allowing yourself to be exposed to. That's the thing that the older I get, um, the more I realize that's been one of the biggest gifts that we've given to each other mm-hmm. over the past three decades they've yeah. been married is our exposure and our willingness to be uncomfortable. Definitely. And when I personally, and mm-hmm. I know you feel the same way, and we talk mm-hmm. about this, when I personally find myself comfortable in anything, that's where I get scared because yeah. I don't want to feel comfortable no. personally. But you, are you in conflict with that? No, I think it depends on what it is. I mean, there's certain things like health. I, I have a strong desire to be comfortable and healthy well that's what i you mean. know but that, but like business-wise substitute whatever, comfortable with complacent yeah no i don't like being complacent either right i that's why i think you know i had this conversation with somebody about working out is that it's so much easier even even though on certain days many days i hate doing it it's so much easier to just accept it and be consistent about it versus having an ebb and flow of sometimes i'm complacent i didn't feel like i didn't go this week and then then you have to go back and it's so much harder so that was your, you and I had a conversation about discipline and that most people will fight discipline. And so I'm still kind of working that. Well, it's process. the repet, it's the two things, right? Repetitious boredom pays off, yes. right? You know, mm-hmm. and the other one was if you want ever increasing levels of success in your business and personal life, you have to, you know, do what you don't want to do when you don't sure. want to do it at the highest level. And never, in none of those statements, uh, can you find any gray area mm-hmm. and none of those statements, can you find any like anything other than the obvious truth of how life but actually works. But it's the works. doing of it. That, right. That makes it difficult. And exactly. it's the consistent doing of it. Because, you know, we talked about this in the treasure map with the, with the uh, scheduling of things is like, if you're trying to have consistent results, you have to have consistent effort. And so if you're somebody that constantly puts off like lead generation or lead follow-up or any of the normal things, well, your income is probably direct uh, correlation to that, the ebb and flow, the feast and famine. 
because you haven't actually, maybe conceptually you get that you have to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it consistently and that repetitious boredom pays off. You get that, you believe it, you understand it, but living it is a completely different thing. I'm going to touch on something else too. Um, I do remember uh, Mm -hmm. having epiphanies in my life, and there haven't been very many, truthfully. Mm -hmm. Like when I met you, Valentine's Day, so I'm going to say something (laughs) romantic. That was an epiphany, right? You know, and there's other been other things that have happened professionally. But mm-hmm. I bet you if I really focused and concentrated on it, I could maybe think of four times where I've all where I felt like, you know, the clouds have parted and I've just sure. had ultimate clarity. And and the reason was is because there aren't any uh, distinct feelings of uh having an epiphany now at my age mm-hmm. because they're not thinking like that where I'm able to, um, you know, even though I'm struggling to come up with the words now, thinking like that now has become habitual. Yes. So it's not like, I mean, you and I were talking about something else that we're going to do with our business, right? Mm-hmm. We want to take our business international. We're talking about different ways that we could involve investors. We're talking about maybe taking, you know, doing, mm-hmm. uh, uh, taking the company public. We're talking about different things that we could do to sure. really take, make our coaching company mm-hmm. the number one, uh, you know, global real estate coaching and training company for real estate people all over planet Earth. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thought, right? It is. Okay. And so we were talking about how to go about doing that. And and I didn't have to have a big aha moment. There was no, no because you know, you're in the habit of thinking like getting that. yourself to think that way. Because we are in the habit of doing what we don't want to do and we don't want to do it at the highest level and being very, very, very careful who we allow ourselves to be exposed yes. to. Yes. So it's the combination of the habit of doing what you don't want to do. I mean, there's you know, there's days we don't feel like doing the podcast. We do it anyway. We try and do the best job we can for you guys. Uh, but it's the combination of that and the exposure. I mean, we walk out our door. One of the reasons we go on our walks is the people that we run into, uh, which are, by and large, totally out of our wheelhouse, very successful types, very interesting entrepreneurial types. You know, that exposure continues. That's funny you said that. Just like the other day, Julie and I are on a walk, and you guys are going to think we're making this up or not. <laughs> but Brandon Pritchard, who is, you guys know, he's a big mindset guru type, he lives five minutes from our front door. And then the same day, um, we basically tripped over Dave Chappelle. Yeah. <laughs> and Peter Schiff lives on the other end of the street. They don't know who Peter Schiff yeah. is. But yeah, they I mean, so we trip over these people. The funny thing Randomly. about... Yeah, they, they're going to stop. They're going to engage with you. They're yeah. not going to be, hello, how's it going? Chewing the fat bullshit. What's the weather like? You better be ready to have a fairly intense conversation really, really yes. quick. <laughs> and you never know what it's going to be about, right? Yeah. So I... I find the Ford script is very comforting here because you can talk to them about their family, occupation, what do they do, right. recreation. You know, we live in the Caribbean and dreams and, and nobody's weird about that. But yeah. you better be on your toes because you're going to meet interesting people. Well, again, exposure. You know, yeah. here, here it is. Julie and I, when we got married 30 years ago, uh, September, uh, what's our anniversary? 15th. That's right. Uh, we have to come over there. What year did we get married? 91. Oh, that's right. And uh, mm-hmm. we, you know, our first apartment was this little, you know, <laughs> rat infested, you know, shithole in the long wrong side of town, but it was ours. And do you remember the deal that we cut to quote property manage it so yeah, that our I, rent would not be three seventy five a month, but three fifteen a month? Yeah, I had to basically go and have my eyebrows singed off on a regular basis. Lighting, pi- lighting pilot lights because you know what the hell we were doing. Huge gas furnaces. These apartments blow your hair have. off. <laughs> right, and then and then they blow out just because the who knows why, and then I'd have to go over there because the gas guy didn't want to go over there to you know singe off more layers of his skin. But let's just send that dumb Harris kid over there, and <laughs> <laughs> it will it will make him so he doesn't have to pay sixty dollars a month you know in rent. And so I did that, and it was a fairly regular basis. I'd come back you know smelling odd, <laughs> singed. <laughs> like what happened this it, time? It was a normal thing. 
But, you know, for us to go into that environment, if I think back, like, again, trying to how do we help Bob and Jane, right? Mm -hmm. How do we help them? And what caused us to be willing to break free of that? It wasn't our parents. No. It wasn't our environment. It wasn't our um, city or town. It wasn't our level of education. Mm -hmm. It was us being willing to grab hold of the few little things that we could find. And this is pre-internet that would be, and through the detailing business, but all the, also then the types of books we read. Sure. I mean, I remember reading, you know, we still read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon mm-hmm. Hill all the time. But those types of exposures and then be, staying on mission. And then yeah. staying on the mission thing, that was ultimately the thing I think that screws up Bob and Jane, to be honest with you. Yeah. And it's too easy to get off mission. And life nowadays, there's so many distractions. But staying on mission, our mission was is to get to the point, and we actually set an age. It was 40, which was funny to think we did that when we were in our early 20s. Mm-hmm. But we um, you know, we wanted to sell real estate for a certain amount of time. We knew we actually, and if you read the National Association of Realtors article that they did about us, um, after we you know, broke all those records our first year in the business, we said in the article that we didn't think we'd be selling real estate full-time for more than like a decade. We said right. that. Because we didn't want that to be our careers, and we didn't even know what was next. And then by accident, we stumbled into coaching because people started reading about us and asking us to, you know, sh- they wanted to shadow us. And then people started flying in to shadow Julie and I. And then, you know, the story goes on, and I could bore you guys with more, you know, details. But the essence of it is, is we stumbled into the coaching industry because people were asking us when coaching started to really become something in the late 90s uh, at a Howard Brenton event, actually. Um and, and I just think back to all those experiences that we had. And what was it that were the little sparks that gave us the inspiration to be willing to allow ourselves to have exposure to things that were so far out of what anything we would experience? And it was just that willingness to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Really. And to seek out and, you know, find pre-coaching when we would shadow each other and then people would start shadowing us to actively seek and follow people that have done what you've, you're trying to do. You know, when we do the goal setting in the treasure map, one of the questions is, who do you know that's done this? Right. And that doesn't mean go do a survey on Facebook to find it. It means, honest to God, who do you know that's done this? That's the problem nowadays, honestly. It's very it, easy to get And I track. see this happening in Clubhouse. Yeah. I don't want to be an ass and sound like an ass, but at the end of the day, there's so many people that are just straight up lying about what they've actually done in life. It doesn't take that much research to go and Google and look at their LinkedIn. But then you can go to like the Wayback Machine and, you know, mm-hmm. I had this big this, the other thing. And you can find all kinds of interesting things. But I don't understand, truthfully, how how there's this subculture of like this hustle sub, sub subculture thing. I'm not really tuned into it mm-hmm. where people are – it's almost become like a – I don't know. They're flexing almost. Badge of honor. Yeah, to be, yeah. To, to act like they're successful in business. Like entrepreneurialism yeah. has become – being a successful entrepreneur is definitely some sort of virtue signal. Mm-hmm. And people are willing to fake it and then they never make it because they fake it. But they're, yeah. they want fame. I was listening to this other one. We're bouncing mm-hmm. around a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was listening to this other uh, clubhouse yesterday, which I thought was kind of interesting. And this guy uh, claims, and I believe him actually, that he was – one of the main reasons why Kim Kardashian, of all things, became such an influencer. You, you think this is an interesting story? Should I tell it? Yeah. Okay. So the essence of the story was, and I thought this was fascinating, truthfully, is that Chris Kardashian went to uh, this guy or somehow they connected. And and they were trying to decide which of the daughters, I don't even know who all the Kardashians are. I think there's mm-hmm. four girls and a boy and I don't even know what. 
And um, and they were trying to decide, well, which one are we going to make famous? <laughs> really, this is the conversation he described on this clubhouse thing I was listening to. And they said that they chose Kim for a whole variety of reasons. And then all the stuff that started coming out, if you guys remember, is this era where there was these social influencers, like, why are we hearing about Paris Hilton? Why yeah, is she on the news? That. Why is it that all of a sudden you walk through a grocery store and she's on, what did she do? Is she an actor? Did she figure out some, did she write some book that, no, she's just famous for being famous. And I don't know if you guys remember that famous for being famous thing when that really started to creep in. It wasn't that long ago, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this guy was one of the reasons that some people are just famous for being famous. There were He was taking advantage of the media's never-ending you know, a zeal appetite. for appetite mm-hmm. for just little weird, just different things. And so most, if not all of the things that made Kim Kardashian originally show up on all these radars was contrived. Completely Duh, manufactured. Right? Completely manufactured. And he talks about it. And he talks about essentially how, you know, then after that, then they, uh, Chris Kardashian said, well, we're going to make another daughter famous. And then whichever one came after that again, I don't, I don't really have any clue. And then the show came as a result of these girls being famous. And, and you know, they've over time, I think you cannot argue with there was definitely some absolute genius behind what that family did and also some of the products they created. And I'm, I'm not even remotely giving a hoot about any of the social stuff. I'm mostly paying attention to the really the it is pure genius, really. Out of nothing, they created this international brand that and so he goes on to say that he was uh, like they sort of you know worked on all the daughters and then there was there's there, I think he said there were two kids left and one of them was Bruce Jenner uh, Caitlyn Jenner's daughter uh, Kylie Jenner I cannot believe I got all these names right I know aren't you impressed I am and so he said that basically he said she was just this lanky teenager that would be in these meetings occasionally and no one really gave her much you know and and the focus was all on the Kardashian girls. And I guess, I think there was another guy too. His name was Rob, which was a Kardashian in any event. So this uh, social media guy or this sort of, I'm going to make you famous guy. That's what his business was basically. He said, I'll, uh, you know, look, we have these two, you know, we have Rob and your and this uh, Kylie Jenner. So how about you give me a discount on, um, you know, basically she was, uh, he was paying her to use her family and her kids to essentially make money off all these business transactions that were happening as a result of those people being famous. So he was the fame machine and he got to... It was like uh, an affiliate relationship. Right. It was an affiliate relationship with humans. With humans, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could... There are sort of other parallels that are similar, but we don't need to be... Yeah. Yeah. So that is what in essence was happening. I mean, imagine, let's just make it not so dark. It's like a sports team, right? Maybe something like that. So he was choosing these people. He was making them famous. They were then able to create affinity products or, you know, maybe partnerships with major brands. And then they were sharing in the revenue. That was the business model. And it was incredibly successful. So Kylie Jenner, uh, you know, you guys know who she is. Um, She then legitimately creates this makeup line, which, by the way, came from their fame that this guy helped to create. And why are they famous? They're famous for being famous, right? And so this makeup line comes out, and this makeup line is legitimately like a you know a brand worth something like 600 or a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. It was like a legitimately selling, they're making the products, yeah, people are buying the products. But that's, I think that whole experience is fascinating. Then he goes on, to, and he talks about well, how many people really, as a result of their quest for fame, become rich? That's one of the points he was actually making. And then he started saying how he has other customers who would just come to him. And he told other stories, too. He was a good storyteller. Who would just come to him and say, I just want to be famous or I've got some money set aside. I've sold my house. 
I want to give you hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars. And then he would sign him to a contract for like a year or two. And then he would start having, you know, professional photographers follow them around. And I mean, staging things, basically. staging the entire uh, creation that they he would pay celebrities to be seen with them. He would start making it so that there were salacious rumors that were floating around that, you know, so-and-so famous actor is dating this, you know, influencer type that, you know, obviously this guy's trying to make famous. So all of it was fake, contrived, completely contrived. And then he went on to say how his business now, in essence, is just making people famous for the sake of making them famous. So there's this really deeply rooted a belief in our culture that fame is should be the thing that all people seem at least in you know California right that and but I think it's also in real estate too people desire that for sure right it's the recognition of strangers that that is innate you know recognition from people is one of the core human needs and this guy it was telling the story on how to basically you know he was buying billboards for Kylie Jenner out in West Hollywood if you guys are out in West Hollywood you've probably seen these things. For what reason? Just to basically make her famous. For So people would associate, there's a Kylie Jenner billboard. Who's she? I don't know. She must be somebody because she's right next to a billboard advertising Tom Cruise's, uh, Tom Cruise's next movie, right? So this, this sort of psychological warfare that was going on. But what he was doing was just creating this desirable brand. And that is essentially the pervasive... Um, I, I think you, it's a theme that's out there. That's out that, there. That's what you're supposed to strive for. That's what you guys think. And you're thinking as real estate professionals or practitioners, just for, you know, you're believing these types of guys that that's what your mission should be is to be famous. And when you hear people talk incessantly about branding, that's what essentially they're describing as how to basically satisfy your innate human need for recognition. What they're doing is they're feeding in to your, again, I'm going to say it, everybody wants recognition. Everybody wants to feel important. That's just how we all are to differing levels. And if you're somebody who has this big recognition deficit to fill, you're obviously going to be really uh, turned on by the idea of somehow being some big influencer. And then I see all these sort of these m- mindsets. They're not business approaches necessarily, but these these people that are selling these ego narcissism type products and it's, you know, perpetu- it, it, it's, it's infiltrated real estate on all corners. For sure. And people come into the business and they don't realize why they're being told what they're told. They don't understand. They and actually, they don't understand how manufactured it is, how expensive it is, and how unusual it is. And temporary. For, and temporary for that to work for you. Right. And temporary. That's a good way to make yourself broke. Well, I mean, but that's the thing with like social networking, for example. Sure. Like, um, you know, you do a, a Twitter post or you do whatever. It's pretty much one and done. And you guys are spending all this time. And I know there's our competitors out there that are constantly beating on you. Your day should be disciplined with doing so many videos, so many of this, this and so many of the other things. Guys, that stuff is just, it's like digital gas. That's really what it is. It comes and then it blows off into the breeze. You're not building anything that's substantial. You want to believe that there's some sort of momentum that mythically builds up from all that, you know, recurring posting and branding and all the rest of it. But why are you doing it? Really, what's your motivation for doing attention. it? You can tell from some of the clubhouse things. It's right. your attention. Everybody wants Exactly. Attention. And this guy was... They get attention for your work. Right. Well, that's what Warren, that's what Warren Buffett's Charlie Munger's uh, partner said. Yeah. He said, you know, don't try to be famous yourself. Try to make your work famous. Or more specifically, the results you get for other people famous. Yeah. Well, that's the kind of post on social media you should be doing. That people don't say. Yeah. Because it's... so much more authentic. Right. Isn't that called social proof? It's not... You're not great because you say so. It's because your your people say so. Well, so... Because your clients say so. But I'm thinking about Bob and Jane. Yeah. Right? And so I'm thinking if Bob and Jane are trying to, like, reignite their spark and they're mm-hmm. trying to, you know... 
they're, if they fall prey to that type of thinking, it's A, probably not going to feel real to them and they're no. going to feel essentially fake, right? Yes. Because that's what they're, the world is – and that sort of mindset and approach is trying mm-hmm. to tell you to do act like something you're not and then you'll right. become what you're acting like you are. Mm-hmm. And there is some you know validity to that. But at sure. the end of the day, if you're not backing it up with actual skill set to be of service to other people – right. It will be obvious. I, I mean, look at look – at, to bring this all of our stories together – Zoe's gymnastics teacher, okay? I didn't originally know that she was an Olympian, okay? Until I saw her in action, and I thought, something is going on with her. She, I, I bet you she's the real deal. And then I, I didn't even know her last name. It was because it was convenient in between podcasts and stuff, right? And so I, I asked her, is your last name this? And she's like, well, yes, that's me. She's very humble about it, like very opposite of the made-up influencers, and I thought, oh, my God, that's incredible. But you can, like you, you say, game smells game. Having the actual skill is so incredibly obvious when you're one-on-one with somebody. So, And I have had coaching calls with people that did a lot of the uh, influencer, look at me stuff, building my brand, yada, yada. And then they get real appointments, and they're freaking the heck out. Well, they got, they get, they're toasted. They are toasted. Yeah. And so if you're lucky, if they're lucky, that's the catalyst through taking them from uh, unconscious incompetence. They don't know that that's not going to get them there. They don't know what they don't know. And then something happens, like they get a real appointment and they have their butt kicked because they didn't build the skill. They just bought, they just built the influence. And then if they're lucky and they swallow their ego a little bit, they then become consciously incompetent and become coachable. So when you're working on the book outline mm-hmm. and you're, you know, modeling it after what's best for Bob and Jane, yep. I, wrote, I wrote down you know, two two thoughts. Mm-hmm. And this is something I want all of you guys to ask yourselves right now. So you might be in your early 20s or whatnot, and I want you to answer this question. I want you to be truthful about it. And by the way, don't lie. I'll know if you're lying. So the first question I have for you is, if you had to choose between being rich or being famous, what would you choose right now? If you're 25 or if you're 20, what would you choose? Being rich or being famous? You cannot have both. You have to choose. Which are you going to choose? Right? That's the interesting question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's a hard question. You can't have both. You have to choose. Now, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to negotiate my question. You're trying to nope. say, Tim, if I'm One famous, I'll be rich. That's not true. You, fame does not equal riches. And rich, by the way, is simply where your money works for you. You no longer have to work for your money. If you make money a non-issue in your life where you have enough money to easily exceed all your financial hopes, dreams, and whatnot – I assure you that everything else in your life is going to be a thousand times better. You will not think the way you think, live where you live probably. You'll have everything, every aspect. You will be orbiting the planet uh, along with Elon Musk and, you know, what I'm saying here. You're going to be, you'll have transcended your original software and your original coding if you're free from having money worries. And you can create that easily in your lifetime. You can create that sure. in three to five years. Some Look of you, at what Glenn's done in what, you know, a little, little better than a decade. Well, I mean, not without... Uh, I don't want to talk about this too much because it makes some people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But look at all the people we're associated with at EXP. Yeah, honestly, that we know are creating, who have created way more wealth for themselves in the last, just from their association not, with EXP. That's right. Not that, not even in a lifetime, in in less than a decade, in less than half a decade. Dude, like less than three three to five years. Yeah, it's we, we know people that are EXP that are making literally hundreds of thousands of dollars a month mm-hmm. that have been with EXP for maybe five or five and a half years. Yeah, and and it's not. You know, it's incredible. And, and these are normal people. Right. These, these are not, you know, you probably don't even know their names. By the way, if you guys want to talk to us about joining our EXP group, of course, Julie and I would love to sponsor you. Uh, just text me directly at 512 758 0206. 512 
if you want to join Julie and I at eXp and have us be your personal sponsors. But if you have to choose between being rich and being famous and you're younger, everyone chooses fame. And the reason they choose fame is because everyone goes through, um, and if you're older than that, you'll know what I'm saying is true. When you're younger, you want recognition. When you're younger, you want to be told you're important. When you're younger, you want to be told you're pretty. When you're younger, you need to be have the world basically tell you that you're relevant, that you're, that you're you know, all the things. You're just a mass of insecurities when you're younger. Are you good enough? Are you going to measure up? You're constantly subconsciously comparing yourself to other people. That's the nature of being young. It's actually harder to be (laughs) – life does get provided you're willing to do what you didn't want to do when you didn't want to do it at the highest level for long periods of time. It actually gets way better the older you get, provided, frankly, guys, you have money. If the older you get and you don't have money, life gets way harder. There's no two ways about it. So in your 20s, you would have chose fame. All of you would have. I promise you. You can exchange the word fame with recognition. So I'll even reframe it. If you have to choose – I'm talking to you, 25-year-old – between being being, getting recognition – from a whole bunch of people uh, and, or versus being rich, you're going to go for the recognition. Oh, and by the way, the real estate industry traditionally has known that. That's the reason that by at the same time of year when you might be thinking about your financial situation, thinking about renegotiating your commission, your the brokerages have always been you know flooding you with awards, participation trophies, right, because they want to appeal to your ego's desire for recognition so it'll distract you from the fact that you maybe should be asking for a better commission split. That's why there's number one for this, number one for that, and number right. one for showing up at the office, exactly. number one parking spot and all this. You know, it's because it placates. Yes, it does. You get a new title and you you feel great. And it distracts you too. And if I asked you how much you paid your broker, you'd say, well, I'm on this, this split. Okay, well, what about the royalty fee? What about these other fees? What about this, the other thing? You don't know. And the reason you don't know is because you've been distracted. You, you, I mean, it's almost like I try to, I can't do it anymore, but I used to be able to distract Zoe. Like I get her look, Zoe and I will go in staring contests. Like we'll just stare at each other and whoever obviously blinks first loses. Well, now what Zoe's done is she's basically started saying things like, Dada, did you see that bird? Oh yeah. She's totally turning the tables. And this morning when I was doing a staring contest with her, uh, she was about to lose. And so you know know what she did? What? She stomped on my foot. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. You know who's good at staring contests is Max. Our dog? Yes, he loves it. <laughs> well, so if you have to choose now, and let's say, for example, you're in your 30s. 30s, you're still in that little bit of a tug of war. Mm-hmm. You still want that recognition. You go either way when you you're You still want to brag, brag about how many houses you sold, not about the profit you made or the wealth you created. You still want to talk about how many team members you have. You still want to focus a lot on your brand. Yeah. You know, but the older you get, I promise you, if you haven't accumulated uh, money, and I ask you that, you're in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, and I say, what would you rather choose today, recognition or being famous or being rich? What would you choose? You're going to always say the money because you know at that point that the recognition um, and being famous, you know, when we were younger, there was no real opportunity to be globally famous like you sort of can be for like, you know, a fart now on social network, on social media. Well, you would have, uh, and when we were younger, I'm glad that wasn't around because we probably would have gotten distracted sure, by I'm it. Sure. I'm glad. It but easy to. It would have been. But nowadays, I promise you guys, it's harder than ever to stay focused on what it's going to take to actually accumulate wealth for yourself because there's so many people telling you to focus on being famous. Mm-hmm. Why are they telling you to focus on being famous? It's not for the sake of being rich. They're telling you to focus on being famous for the sake of placating your ego and your desire for recognition. You're being manipulated. Uh, is there any other way yeah, to say systematically it? Systematically manipulated too. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, so. it's like what's the old thing they say in social networks? If there's no definable product, on a, if if the product is free, you're the product. 
Yes. Yeah, you're the product. You guys are being gamed. That's really what, at the end of the day, that's really what's happening. And look, a little- you're not in control. You know, that's not all up to you. It's totally different. I mean, I, as you were talking, I mean, just because real estate and coaching is what we do. um, Not so long ago, we had a post on our Facebook group that literally the, the agent was saying, thanks, Tim and Julie, for making me get out of my comfort zone. I was showing a property. I door knocked a for sale by owner in the area, and now I have a listing appointment. Isn't that- That's one contact, one appointment. Right. So, but it isn't, didn't you guys get into this business and versus every, the hundred other realtors that drove past that FISBO that wanted right. to rush home so they could make their TikTok videos? Yeah, or check on their Dancing with their golden yeah. retriever well, or whatever. Well, exactly, because yeah. they think that that's work. Well, it's because it... I They've think, been convinced that it's work. I think they know it's not work. Yeah. But what they don't realize is that they're being manipulated like marionettes at the end of strings. Mm-hmm. Basically, you have to go do this and get your and get your little recognition hit. And the recognition hit or the desire to feel famous is more powerful and important to them than being rich. Yeah. That's what it is. But they that's made, not they sustainable, made it, though. They made know? a subconscious choice. Well, it's, yeah. it, it isn't sustainable, sustainable in the sense that um, eventually they're going to wise up to the fact that they've made bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And the same goes with all sorts of, you know, shiny objects, silver bullet chasing that people sure. just do endlessly. Yeah. Well, in, what is it, The Treasure Map? One of, one of the books I talk about, you know, uh, if you, it's in the, the uh, having the plan section, right? So you, you put point A and you point, put point B. This is where I am. Point B is where I want to be. You draw a very straight line. This is how it is when you follow a plan, right? And so on the flip side of the page, what I have them do is draw point A and then point B somewhere else and, you know, draw a squiggly line and skip around a lot and stop and start. And basically it's a big scribbled mess. That's how most people are operating right now because they try things out. They see if, how that's going to go. They call it's not working. Well, you haven't spent enough money or spent enough time on it. You know, you've got 5 billion impressions, but I don't have any appointments. Well, blah, 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 blah. And so you stop and start and try crap out constantly. And sometimes you never even get to point B. Whatever you're avoiding the most in your life is where you're going to find the greatest returns on the investment of time and effort. You know, or the old saying is wherever you're avoiding the most in life is where your growth or where your focus needs to be. That really is true. If you were to write down now, and being super honest, and we should round the bend, right? Because mm-hmm. we got to go torture ourselves getting screamed <laughs> at by the seven-year-old yep. while she's trying to learn to ride her bike. Um, but w- make a list of the things in your real estate business that you will never do, that no one in a, no the most convincing person in the world could never talk you into doing. Mm-hmm. Like you're just never going to call it for sale by owner. Julie, I will never do that. I'll never call an expired. Yep. I'll never learn how to, you know, I'm not, I am do not want to consider myself a salesperson. I'm not going to ever learn how to compete. I don't like the idea of co- competition. Mm-hmm. I am not, I'm going to, I, you know, I'm following my passion and eventually the world's going to, you know, sprinkle real estate deals on me just because people are going to love me because I'm famous on social networking, talking about what whatever I'm talking about, you know, write a list of all the things in your life that you will never do. Like, you're not going to freaking do it. Like, it does not matter how convincing of an argument that Julie and I or anybody else gives you to do whatever these particular things are. You're just never going to do it. Now, I want you to look to see what those things are. All of those things are the things that are going to make you the money the most, the quickest, aren't they? Yeah. All of those things are going to be the things that put you in a position to help the most people to have the all, you know, truthfully, the most influence on you and your family and obviously your customers. Those things that you won't do are the very things that once you move past your reluctance, your more than reluctance, your you know, a complete refusal to do them. Yeah. On the other side of that is everything you want. Honestly, it is. That's always true. Yep. That's absolutely true. 
And, and there are no shortcuts, guys. And you can listen to all these bullshit artists telling you that there's shortcuts and there's hacks. There's and there's... They know they're not because they've tried them. Of course, you guys. And that's the thing. Also. You know, if it was working, wouldn't you already be past your goal? You actually sparked a thought. I was trying to round the Sorry. bend, but now, well, I've had some very, very interesting conversations with millennials. And actually, not even millennials. I didn't realize mm-hmm. this. Millennials are getting old. They are. Yeah. So these They're are supposed gen- to be functioning humans by now. But, right. <laughs> but these are Gen Zs. I know. So these are the kids younger than Younger than them. And yeah. I have to say, the, the, the kids that are the early 20 kids, mm-hmm. they're really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Because the the gen- they're not believing what the generation before them believed as far as the millennials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, I just love when I get uh, any kind of text or anything from uh, a show listener or a coaching client, somebody purchased our book, and they're like, uh, we're talking about social networking, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Dude, you're totally right. It's just a bunch of it is. Yeah. It's narcissism. It's essentially you know mental masturbation. Mm-hmm. It's not real. And they are the ones that are wanting to learn how to actually be professional salespeople. Mm-hmm. They're yes. the ones that are willing to drill down and really do the work. Yep. And and it's so fascinating to me that this pendulum of sort of uh, you know. I don't even know what to describe. This pendulum is definitely swinging back to people being in tune with all of our highest and truest yes. purpose on this planet is, which is being of service to others. Mm-hmm. Where the generation that was um, essentially germinated during the whole you yeah. know, social networking, buying leads business thing, mm-hmm. that is not about the customer. That is about you. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff and the products it's and the social networking. But the younger generation, yeah. they they're know. They're wise to it. They're tuned into the fact that their highest and truest purpose on this planet, at least this, maybe I'm just being, I'm seeing what I want to see. Mm. But they are seemingly in mass realizing what a farce all the crap was mm-hmm. if your goal is to basically create a real sustainable business and you're and ultimately I think some of these people as they're aging they're realizing that you know if the easiest and shortest path to having that emotional connection is to always stay in tune with the fact that our highest and truest purpose on this planet is to be of service to other people and as long as you stay on that course and as long as you're like using that as one of your primary filters when decision making, you're never gonna get that far. No, astray. that has to be the north star. Yeah, but it's so funny for me yeah. to see these younger, this younger generation to look at the generation that's older than them, and with a little bit of a snarky sneer in their face. Yeah, that's hilarious. I had we have somebody. I think that he is 23. I had an initial call, and you know, I usually ask general questions to just kind of take the temperature, like how much time you're spending on social media. What does that look like? He's like, I don't do any of that. I, that's and, what I'm and, hearing. I know. And I, I said, well, you've been pretty successful out of the gates. He's done more than 20 deals his first year. Okay. And he goes, I just call people. Yeah. I just talk to people. And I'm like, how refreshing is that? <laughs> you know? And I, I checked my, I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, like, you just call people. That's interesting. He goes, you know, the other thing that I do that's made me successful, I actually answer my phone. Yeah. I don't send everybody to voicemail. I don't have a bunch of filters. I don't have auto responders. Not building a big funnel and no, a 17 like, stage people. drip campaign. Yeah. You know, I think it's Brad Inman actually talks about this. Mm-hmm. He does it better than I do. But like when you think about drip campaigns, mm-hmm. I, I just I don't really understand how any people that are supposedly in the marketing business, when they're trying to come up with a, a definition for, you know, a long term lead follow up campaign, thought a drip campaign yeah, as, a, as a defining way of describing it was yeah. a good idea. You don't really want anything to be dripping. I mean, you, can you think of a single thing in life that you want to drip? I don't. I can't. 
I, I mean, especially it's not good. It's, it means something's broken either on you, on your house, on right. your car. Dripping is not good. I'm gonna be 51 in March, and trust me when I tell you, I want nothing to <laughs> you don't drip. Want to drip. I want that I'm shit out. to be locked up. Nope, All the right. seals good. I want no everything drip. to be taken care of. <laughs> but then even like uh, it just the, some, sounds dumb. There's it? there's forms of torture that basically That's true. they're called. The, uh-huh. You know, yep. what it was was it? I think it was called actually Chinese water torture. Where right, they, drip where they just drip water on your forehead. Not good. I think the. Uh, the medieval torture. There was a form of mm-hmm. like, you know, it, it was just literally they'd strap you to a chair and they yeah. just drip water on your head very slowly. And just the methodical dip, annoyance drip, drip would make you insane. Yeah. And somebody thought these big geniuses thought, well, I know what we'll do. We'll do the same thing digitally. And somehow miraculously we'll annoy not- you into <laughs> compliance. <laughs> we'll annoy you into working with us. I mean, I, I, it's funny because I get a we we have property lots of different places. We have clients lots of different places. So naturally, we get a lot of drip campaigns sent to us about a new listing or a house or some kind of catchy phrase. And I always think, you know, I wonder whether this agent knows. Like, I I'm just I was just curious. Like, I'm not a real lead, right? Yeah. You know. And I also wondered whether they realize that whoever they're dripping is not just getting drips from you. You know, it's just like the you, most inefficient you went, thing. You went desperately to hop up on our normal soapbox. No, I, I don't. I would, I'm I just saying, <laughs> yuck, yuck. Yeah, anyway, re- guys, uh, but, but coming, let's do a little prequel. Hopefully they've enjoyed this back and forth. Um, have you? It, I have. Honestly, I've, I don't do this Sunday show for them. I do it for us. I know. Well, it helps It helps hash out some of the book stuff too. Yep. Um, but a prequel, we are going to talk to you guys next week about identifying the difference between a, a appreciation versus inflation, because I think that's a hot topic and you need to understand the difference and what types of things to be investing in when we're experiencing those things. So um, that's a little bit more of a coaching educational thing, but that's what we do during the week. Mm -hmm. So that's a prequel. Those will be interesting. It'll give them ammunition, not just to take care of themselves financially, but also be able to have a little bit more insightful intellectual conversations with other people too. Exactly. You know, talking to people. Mm -hmm. So we try and give you some good talking points and, you know, to round the bend, we've talked a lot about it about a lot of different things. And hopefully what they bring from this is that doing the real work in real estate, that's what you lead with. This whole rest of the picture, you know, you can support your work with some of your social stuff and to watch your exposure. You know, whether you're you are actively doing that or not, you have exposure. You just might not realize where it's coming from. And then you can change that if you want to. You can enhance it. You can it, branch out. If you want to have an unfair advantage in the marketplace right now, You've got to accept the fact that you have to do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. We do, look, Julie and I have profiles. We have old, Julie and I were pre-IPO investors in Facebook. We have ancient profiles and all the social things. We had a Twitter thing set up right when Twitter started, all that stuff. But we never thought it would be, um, I mean, we it was an enhancement or a supplement to what we were doing in our business. And if we would, I'll give you an example. If you, and I, again, I see this happening a lot in these uh, uh, clubhouse conversations. You can do all the best social media for that you could possibly imagine. You could hire that guy that basically made the traditions famous. You know, at the end of the day, the reason they got famous is because they were able to back that up with uh, business approaches and create products that people were willing to buy. So clearly, Chris Kardashian is an absolute genius as far as marketing goes, right? Or at least she was smart enough to put herself in the way of other people who who, who were geniuses. But where you guys are going to fall short, a lot of you following this current, you know, I think hype trend. With trend is that you don't have anything to back it up. 
And at the end of the day, if you don't have anything to back it up, the customer's not going to choose to do business with you. It takes a lot more sales skills to get someone to list their house with you than it does to sell them some perfume. You know, so you have got to be really clear that at the end of the day, your ability to pick up the phone and have direct proactive conversations with people, that is the ultimate tool to be successful long term in this industry. And I'm sure any industry, but this is what we this is the this is the hill that we die on, right? Mm -hmm. So the real estate industry is what we know. And the real estate industry, if you're willing to have the uh, conversations that will be sales oriented that helping that customer uh, you know, come to the conclusion that you're the person they should hire to help them solve the problem of selling the house and, and, and working on them, you know, helping them buy a house too. But we primarily focus on the seller side of things. When you're willing to do whatever it takes to become the very best version of you being a real estate salesperson, and don't be conflicted with any of my words, because that is how the public sees you, no matter what your business card says, then on the other side of that is all the freedom you could ever possibly want. Because you will be somebody who then maybe chooses never to essentially, you know, take the slow row down narcissistic uh, river of social networking. Maybe you just touch on it like Julie and I frankly do. But if you don't have actual products, if you don't have actual skill set, if you don't have uh, – there's, if there's essentially nothing there there, the – public is going to instantly figure it out. And I, again, this is one of the reasons I find fascinating on Clubhouse. It's a very interesting cultural experience yes. for me because I've never had an experience where there was unfettered, constant streaming of communication happening. And some of these rooms have 5,000 people in them. But what becomes really clear instantaneously, not just to someone who has a tuned in ear like Julie and I do, frankly, but even to people that are novices, that are, say, new to real estate, for example, or new to you know businesses and being an entrepreneur, they even can instantly figure out the people that are full of shit versus the people that aren't. The, the tall hat, no cattle types, they are so obvious in an environment where they're actually being compared to somebody who is the real deal. And I don't know if 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 for if you get into Clubhouse and you're listening, listen for that because that's what's going to shock you, because you're going to instantly hear the difference between somebody who's real and somebody who's fake. But I wonder if it wasn't for that type of environment, would you guys ever have learned to do, you know develop the tonality to know the difference? I'm trying to make it musical here for Julie's sake, <laughs> but would you have ever been able to pick up the little differences in pitch? Right. You know, the little differences in that's how really hard to do in text, and but you know, yeah, I mean. Well, it can be faked yeah. in Instagram. It yes, can be faked can in be videos. Faked. It can be faked in Twitter sure. posts. It can be faked in everything. But when you hear somebody talk. When you're talk, live, it's different. And exactly. And that's what I live, really love about Clubhouse because you'll see these people that will, I'm a this, the other thing, and bup, 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 bup. And then you get them up there trying to solve or answer a specific, relatively should be easy question to answer. And they just fall on themselves. And it's like, and you hear that happen three or four times, then you're realizing, Okay, I get it. This person is yeah. actually full of it. And, th and then, you know, and I love the fact that your people are through Clubhouse. And I know here's the funny thing. It's also happening. Did I tell you about this? The people that are really the cream that's – and Julie and I are just keeping low profiles too. We're occasionally speaking, but this is not something – We're hovering. Uh, and like I said, it's a great social experience. But the people that are really starting to rise to the top are starting to actually have uh, problems created for them 
by the people who they're uh, ascend- who they're essentially surpassing. And by that, I mean people, who they're building an instant social credit on this platform, on this app, because people know, for example, this person's, you know, the real deal in this, and, and, and they, these people aren't. And the person that's the real deal, like when I hear Glenn Sanford, people listen to what Glenn's saying because he's obviously the real deal, but he might be up on a, you know, virtual stage with other people who are, you know, frankly, faking and, but you can tell when Glenn's talking, for example, that he's the real deal. And so instantaneously, your, your, your decision-making apparatus in your brain, your subconscious, if nothing else, is going to say, this one's fake, this one's not. And that is going to make it so that if this, you know, which I think the, the new, um, if you guys want to know what the future of social networking is going to be, it's definitely going to be audio-based. There's no doubt about it. Everything's going to move to audio. You're going to send audio messages that you know everybody and their brother is going to come out with a ripoff to Clubhouse. Facebook is going to come out with some soon. You're going to see Twitter doing the same thing. Everyone's going to move to audio. But what that's going to do when that happens is all the people who have been raised on the steady diet of being able to be fakers are going to instantly yep. be ferreted out. And again, on Clubhouse, I see a lot of these people who are these you know social networking have these big, huge you know presences and all the rest of it. They are being the the public, the masses are saying well, they're filtering it out. They're 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 yeah. obvious. They're basically exposing themselves to what they don't know, and because it's live conversation, they can't bullshit their way through. They yeah, can't go th- back and put goes, fil- they they can't go back and put filters on their Instagram yeah. picture and, sh- and and lose twenty pounds. You know that's the fascinating <laughs> yeah. thing about this app is it's actually allowing people to start having um, I think a confirmation that maybe. Everyone isn't as successful as they pretend to be. Maybe everyone isn't as, you know, and and I think that's a a relief for some people. But what it's also going to do is it's going to allow um, people to uh, transcend faster and, uh, frankly, successful. They're going to allow people to gather success quicker, you know, success steam quicker because they're going to stop wasting time with the fakers. And that's what I find exciting. Yeah, and I think that it's an interesting thing. We were talking about exposure. You know, that's a really obvious way to get exposure to who's the real deal and who's not and what BSing sounds like. And one of one of my filters when I'm listening to that is uh, there's all of these catchphrases that people throw around and then they'll repeat those phrases and you and I'll look at each other and be like, that person just didn't actually say anything about anything. They like, didn't. I can't find a single bit of content. Yeah, they, they stream- now, it sounds trendy. It sounds like something exactly. you should be saying, but they didn't actually say anything. Right. And so I think it's really important for our listeners to hear some of that so that they don't fall into that, especially if they're very reliant on social media and then they're in front of somebody who's, it's very important to them to choose the right person to sell their house, to hear the difference between somebody who talks a lot and uses many words and phrases, but doesn't actually provide value versus maybe the next person who talks, maybe somebody like Glenn, where you go, God, every single thing that he said has impact on me. And to hear that, because it's not obvious when you're just posting and modifying. And, and people, blah, blah, and, and blah. I, I, it's I not, think it's interesting. It's not because Glenn is, uh, you listen to Glenn, and if you don't read his profile, you don't realize who he is, okay? Yeah. And there's other people like that, too. You have to do some homework to find out. That no mm-hmm. one's like saying, this is Glenn Sanford. He's no, you know, worth no $5 billion, dollars, okay? Yeah. That's not happening. But what's happening is that because he has real experience. You hear it from him. He's not having to say all these little, like anytime I hear um a real estate broker or a team leader start to talk about their culture, 
yeah. I know that my, my BS flag goes up instantaneously, <laughs> right? You, you, you yeah. know, those types of things that people are like to talk about because it makes them feel important. And they think that that's what they're supposed to be talking about to build a successful business. And all these other little catchphrases that have just been in the zeitgeist forever, these are the ways that you differentiate quickly uh, who's real and who, who's not. And I think you guys should. I mean, we're talking about Bob and Jane. Okay, and we're talking Bob and Jane. One of the biggest reasons that they're not able to light their own fires for a long period of time is because their lack of exposure. Go put yourself in the way of people that are going to force you to feel uncomfortable, and do embrace being uncomfortable. You know, do embrace the fact that you know, guys, you are in the right place at the right time, and it really is up to you now to make the right moves. So, Jules, I can tell you're losing interest. No, we have to get back to resorting. I know, we do. And listen, I love you. Happy Uh, Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Give you a kiss. Yep, you got it. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show during our normal scheduled show, which is every single weekday of every single month of every single year. Be there, be square. Forever. (laughs) This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.